Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. It is Thursday, September 12th, and live from the Chicago Sun-Times Chicago Reader Studio on Racine Avenue, this is The Ben Jarofsky Show. on the program in these times writer miles comp lassen makes his return we welcome back sharice williams of the chicago federation of labor and closing it down the pride and joy of the 10th ward himself uh. <laughs> most sharp dressed guest we have oh, that's the one the only ishmael cuevas <laughs> and now your host by the least <laughs> best dressed Man, Chicago Reader columnist Ben Jarofsky. Hello, everybody. Ben Jarofsky here. We're calling this The More Things Change Thursday. And here's why. Stories of both papers today, D, about the ongoing saga over at Lincoln Yards. Yes, one of my favorite topics, everybody. One more time. In the last meeting of the Chicago City Council in the reign of Mayor Rahm Emanuel, Mayor Rahm Emanuel said to himself, how can I really stick it to Chicago and let them know how much I dislike them? What's the best way I could do? I know what I'll do. I'll jack up their taxes by tens of millions of dollars, those dummies, and stick it to them by subsidizing a upscale development in a gentrifying north side neighborhood that doesn't need a handout to be developed. And then he got the city council. Lord knows what they were thinking about to go along. Vote whatever you say, Rob. Whatever you say, boss. 1.3 million open window. Throw it out. That was Mayor Rahm's last meeting as mayor of the uh, city of Chicago. And he has since gone on to a very promising career. Dee, we talked biking. about biking. I just <laughs> biked around Lake Michigan. That's right. How, <laughs> how long was it? <laughs> Nearly a thousand miles. Oh, my goodness. Wow, Mayor Rahm, you're so busy. He was exhausted. I can't believe he'd get on that bike after twisting all those arms in the city council to, to pass that deal. Anyway. Almost immediately, and you know this, folks, because you listen to this show, uh, two outfits in the city of Chicago, two community groups, Raise Your Hand Coalition and the Grassroots Collaborative with our good friend Amisha Patel. Right, D? Hey, Amisha. Uh, Filed suit challenging the deal on the grounds that it's illegal. Uh, And then Lori Lightfoot, Mayor Lori Lightfoot, that Lori Lightfoot, uh, had her lawyers from the law department fight the suit. That is correct. You heard that correctly. Mayor Lori Lightfoot sent her lawyers in the court uh, to challenge the suit on the grounds that the plaintiffs, Amisha Patel and uh, Raise Your Hand, uh, did not have standing. Okay. And so follow me on this one, folks. When she was a candidate for mayor, Lori Lightfoot was against the TIF deal and said she was going to uh, reform TIFs. Remember that, D? She said that, all right? Uh, as, oh, yeah, I remember that. Yeah, as mayor, Mayor Lori Lightfoot, uh, she is paying city lawyers uh, to go to court to preserve the deal. Uh, 
if you're confused and baffled, just uh, be reassured by the fact, I don't know if this is very reassuring, that this is not the first time a mayor has done such a thing. Mayor Rahm himself got off his bike long enough to do pretty much the same thing back in 2012 or so with the parking meter deal. Mm. Our mayors love to talk big talks, but sometimes when they become mayors, uh, they like to look the other way. Rom on his bike. I'll just uh, go for a bike ride up to Michigan and Wisconsin, having stuck it to the taxpayers of Illinois twice with the parking meter deal, reaffirming it, and with that TIF deal. Anyway. So the matter comes before a Cook County Circuit Court judge named Neil Cohen. And yesterday they had a hearing uh, on the motion by the city of Chicago, the lawyers of the city of Chicago, whose salaries you pay uh, to dismiss the suit on the grounds that the plaintiffs do not have standing. All right. So uh, Dave Roeder, the outstanding business and labor reporter for the Chicago. Oh, what a bulldog. (laughs) Every time we see Roeder, he's hard at work. Ben, I can't talk. I'm on the phone. Two computers (laughs) and on the phone. (laughs) This dude's a hustler. David Roeder, hardest working reporter in the I've city. been, I'm busy. <laughs> we always see him as we're walking out. What? What do you want? I'm busy. <laughs> okay, Roeder. All right, calm down, Roeder. All right. Anyway, he wrote a, an article in the Sun-Times. Here it is. Show it. Get a look at that live streamers, huh? That's a real Downloaders. You see that? <laughs> okay. I don't have to punch it. All right. Uh, judge critiques a lawsuit challenging $1.3 billion TIF from Lincoln Yards. Here's the lead by uh, David Roeder. A Cook County judge expressed sympathy for community groups suing to block tax subsidies for the Lincoln Yards development, but offered withering criticism of their legal theories during a court hearing Wednesday. Withering criticism. Yeah, that's exact. That's no understatement. Man, Cohen went ripped into them. All right. He goes, yeah, I feel really sorry for you guys but <clears throat> hell no here's another <laughs> here's another line from rotor at one point cohen told a young lawyer representing the groups quote i know how millennials think but we're not here to give you everything no 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 we're here to give sterling bay the developers everything anyway man come on you didn't have cohen you didn't have to be so hard on millennials did you i mean god i got my issues with millennials too but come on anyway oh by the way did you venmo me that money back <laughs> Last week? I thought it was Vimo. Oh, it's Venmo? Venmo. Oh, sorry, man. I'm never getting that money back. <laughs> uh, anyway, so here's the deal with TIFF, folks. Yes, they're a scam. Yes, they take from the poor and they feed for the rich. Yes, uh, they're unfair in how they're distributed. The downtown neighborhoods get much more than the outlying neighborhoods. Uh, Yes, there's no oversight. Uh, Yes, they jack up your property taxes. Uh, Yes, they divert billions or millions from things that you want, like schools and cops and firefighters, et cetera, and so forth. But basically... They're here to stay because our mayors like them and the city council doesn't have the guts to stand up to the mayors. And now apparently Judge Cohen is saying, look, guys, Mama Cohen didn't raise a fool. You guys pass this thing. Don't look at me. <laughs> Don't look at me. If you think I'm going to knock this out, uh-uh, I'm not sticking my neck out. Maybe that knucklehead for the reader wants to talk about it. Look what happened to him, huh, D? Remember? He got F-I-R-E-D. Oh, yeah, yeah that's for, a guy I work with every day. <laughs> for talking so much. I'm not going down that path like that guy. So old Cohen is like, you know, I love when lawyers, they, they find the law, D, okay? The law is a very instru- useful instrument right well the law tells me blah 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 the law tells me i can duck and dodge this one <laughs> hey man i don't blame cohen like i said if the city council in its infinite 
wisdom in quotes is going to bow to pressure for mayor rom who is running out the door like i said just giving us one more middle finger if the city council is going to do it if mayor lightfoot's going to look the other way and let it go why should judge cohen be the guy who sticks his neck out d huh why should he yeah. be the guy that sticks his neck out he'll end up like me all right that's what happens to people who challenge tip deals in the city of chicago anyway Judge Cohen said, uh-uh. Well, he didn't make his official ruling, but it's pretty obvious to everyone. David Roeder, the guy from the, the the Tribute, everyone pretty much right between the lines. And Cohen's getting that arm ready, D. He's getting that arm, warming up, getting ready. I'm going to throw this suit right out of this court. And when he does, he's going to say all oh, nice things about the law. Oh, you guys did a great job. But hey, you think I'm going to rule against this tip deal and all the powers that be? Uh-uh. As I said, Mama Cohen didn't raise no fools. We got a great show today, everybody. Yes, indeed. Miles Conflasson will be here in these times. Ace Reporter's got a million... Is he going to give us a chicken update, D? Uh, he better bring some sandwiches. <laughs> Every week he comes here, he talks about Popeye's chicken. Yeah, man. I don't think they're selling the, the chicken Dude, sandwiches. I'll take the boneless combo, uh, yeah, seven okay. piece, <laughs> with you, a mashed potato. You hear that, Miles? Start getting that chicken. All right. Uh, and Sharice Williams will be here from the Chicago Federation of Labor. Uh, she'll be bringing a mystery guest. Oh, well, maybe they'll bring chicken. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Sharice, if you hear that, bring some chicken for Dr. D. And, of course, the pride and joy of the 10th Ward, the man, the myth, the legend, uh, Ishqua Cuevas, will be here about two. Th- as D says, he's going to close uh, close down the show. He's going to be the, the, the late inning reliever that we bring in to uh, mow down the opposition. Man, we're going to be talking about the upcoming presidential debates. Don't forget, D. Debates tonight, huh? Yep. All right, get ready for those debates. We're going to talk national news, local news, state politics, absolutely everything. But before we do any of that, the Dennis, young, with whatever the hell he's talking about. The young man from Alton, the pride and joy of that downstate community, Dr. D has the news. <laughs> hey, guys, how's it going? I'm Dennis. Uh, what? What's so funny? Are you a doctor? Never. <laughs> Okay. Never been. A, He's a doctor I of went love. To community college. He's a doctor of love, ladies oh, and gentlemen. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> Helping my dating life out He's, tremendously. He's got a PhD in L-O-V-E. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> All right. Well, people, as you know, if you know Ben Jarofsky, that was just the tip of the iceberg when it comes to this TIFF rant, okay? <laughs> Plenty TIFF talk coming, all right? Hey, theme of the day, Mama Cohen didn't raise no Mama fool. Mama Cohen did not raise no fool. <laughs> Neil Cohen's like, uh-uh, you're not going to get me to do this. Sorry, man. <laughs> Cohen's like, uh-uh. Yes, it is debate day as well, and we're going to talk all things tonight's Democratic 2020 presidential candidate debate, but... Man, before we start more TIFF talk, before we get distracted and all that, we need to talk about what else is happening in Chicago and or Illinois today. Plans on Chicago Mayor Lightfoot's Thursday schedule include a visit to Madison and St. Louis streets to announce the West Side Vision Zero Traffic Safety Plan. Boy, could have. That's a very wordy event. Yeah, it's a big event. The West Side Vision Zero Traffic Safety Plan, mm-hmm. an effort to increase traffic safety on Chicago's south and west sides. Okay. I. It sounds good. I think it sounds pretty good, too. Sounds good. Ben, I know you've been anxiously awaiting for the latest episode of your favorite new Chicago soap opera. Well, the wait is over, my friend. That's right. The wife of a city council member is in the news. hmm. Grab the popcorn. (laughs) It's this week's a mayor and her alderman. A mayor (laughs) and her alderman. Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> and loves the show. Can't get I enough. I love this show. Yeah. Aside from that serial killer show he's watching, this uh, is his favorite. That would be called Mind Hunters 
ever hear of it. No. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> now, this one here, today's um, a mayor and her alderman, mm-hmm. kind of a subplot mm-hmm. in the story of the embattled alderman of the 14th Ward, one Ed Butterfingers Burke. <laughs> The following comes from... <laughs> Where did you get Butterfingers? I don't know. That's good. I like that. Thought of it on the train today. Yeah. The following comes from the Daily Herald. Ben, for 10 trivia points, the Daily Herald is a paper out of which Illinois suburb of Chicago? <sighs> Give me the ball. Arlington Heights. Nice. Come on, man. That was good. I didn't think you'd know that. I didn't think I would either. Wow. <laughs> I was like, uh, could be Rolling Meadows, but I'm going to go with Arlington Heights. He's surprising himself today, people. Uh, Illinois Supreme Court Justice Ann Burke will become the next Chief Justice of the state's highest court. Yes, Ann Burke, the wife of indicted Chicago alderman who shook down a Burger King in his ward, <laughs> Ed Burke. <laughs> And it's moving up in the world. Move it on up. Move it on up. While her to husband, he said. While her husband, let's just say, eh, things have been better. That's correct. Uh, <laughs> Mueller agrees with you. What about Rob? What does he think? Huh? That's something about riding his bike. I now, see. luckily for Ann Burke, <laughs> the position rotates among the justices based on seniority. Okay, she's been there a while. Yeah, huh? seniority, not mm. among whose spouse has recently shook down a Burger King. <laughs> well, it's good for her. You're right. Because if that were the case. <laughs> Well, I mean, if you got the gig because your husband uh, shook down a Burger King, she'd been a, the Supreme Court head, thing, you know, like three years ago. So look at it that way, D. Oh. Yeah. And Burke. Glass half empty, glass half full. I like where you're coming from. Ann Burke, who has served on the court since 2006, will begin her three-year term as Chief Justice on October 26. Ben Jarofsky. Why do I have a weird, suspicious feeling when it comes to this? Should I, <laughs> should I have this feeling? Should being the wife of an indicted alderman matter when it comes to her own political excess? And, of course, the speculatory plot twist. Will Ann Burke use her new position to pull a few strings and try and clear her husband? Well, I doubt the latter, but, you know, why would you be concerned? Well, let's think about it this way. The number one judge in the state of Illinois is the wife of an alderman uh, who's been indicted for corruption and has been uh, playing both ends of the game for many, many years with conflicts of interest between uh, his position as chairman of the finance committee and his job as a property tax appeal lawyer. So, would you be concerned about that? Well, I guess you could say, you know, the number one uh, judge in the state of Illinois' husband uh, is some sleazy alderman. Yeah, I, I think there be, you know, it might be a little concerned, but I'm sure there's a division in the Burke household, D, all right? They don't talk about anything. He So, like, when she comes home from a hard day's uh, work, uh, making rulings at the Supreme Court, and he comes from back from a hard day's work of having a conflict of interest, being the finance chair and a property tax lawyer, they never, ever talk about finance committee stuff. <laughs> they never, ever talk about... Pro- they never had a conversation. Oh, so, hi, how was your day today? Well, I shook down a Burger King owner. Oh, that's good. Pass the peas. They never have that conversation. There's a division of labor in that house, D. All right. Uh, Anything interesting today? Well, I was representing Sterling Bay, who's going to be a recipient of a billion-dollar TIF deal, uh, while I'm the chairman of the Finance Committee. Oh, that's interesting, dear. Do we have any fried chicken from Popeye's? by the way, don't you think Miles is bringing that Popeye's chicken? You, I'm getting started. What, what's the over-under? Anyway, so yes, I think there's reason to be concerned, but you know, that's how it goes. And here's the interesting thing about Amber. 
there's like people will always tell you they love Ann Burke. And this is a very, I don't know, is this unique to Chicago D? If someone doesn't have something nice to say about the husband, they always have something nice to say about the wife. Have you ever noticed this, D? Yeah. I mean, uh, people were always praising Maggie Daly. Oh, oh, I love Maggie Daly. You know, I love Maggie Daly. They may have not something nice to say, but Richie Daly, who was married to Maggie, oh, I love Maggie Daly. People are always praising Rob's wife. Oh, I love Amy. You know, but they have something about Rob. They always say something nice about the wife uh, to avoid, you know, I guess that's what, I don't know. They really don't want to get in trouble with the husband if they say anything wrong about the, the wife. I don't know what's going on in people's mind, but so many people tell me, oh, I love Ann Burke. She's a wonderful human being. I've never met her, Dee. Never met Ann Burke. How about that? Never really met Ed Burke either. Just seen him in action. So you've never met them both. All right, let's keep speculating here. So you say, you know, I mean, they share a lot of things. Her husband and wife, they share like silverware, <laughs> a toilet, home. toilet paper, yes. bed sheets. Mm -hmm. So you're saying they don't share secrets. Yeah, that's, I mean, you have to believe that, right, people? Either that or you can be a little worried that the head of the uh, Supreme Court in the state of Illinois, the number one judge in the state of Illinois, uh, is the longtime wife of a crooked alderman. Uh, I should say an alleged crooked alderman. Uh, you're innocent until proven otherwise, D. Okay? So okay. tell that to the Burger King owner who got chicken down. Get the property tax business with Burke. Anyway, yeah, I'm a little alarmed by it. a lot of power in one family there. Uh, but uh, Ann Burke is now the head of the Illinois State Supreme Court. But uh, it's a federal uh, case against Burke, uh, Ed Burke, so she will have no say in that criminal matter. So, once again, Ann Burke, uh, new position uh, in the courts of Illinois. We'll have to wait and see what happens. Only time will tell. Yes. So, until next time, this has been <laughs> a mayor and her alderman. <laughs> To be continued. I'll, I'll bet you, by the way, Lori Lightfoot, uh, following this trend, would say nothing but nice things about Ann Burke. That's the trend. She's lovely. She's wonderful. Everybody says, I love Ann Burke, right? They all say that. I didn't say that, but I'm quoting people saying that. But then they Ed, oh, I can't stand the husband. Of course, you know, it's interesting. They loved the husband up until the time Lori Lightfoot got uh, elected. If you recall, young Dennis, right uh, shortly after the feds announced they were doing their investigation of Ed Burke, he had a fundraiser. Remember that? People lined up. Paying money to go see Ed Burke and oh money yeah to yeah him. yeah yeah I love Ed Burke so like right after uh, the feds <laughs> raided his office yeah. Yeah, I don't know they, they may have him wrong he's a good guy we got to get Adolfo Mondragon he's our Ed Burke expert right from the southwest side of Chicago the pride and joy the back of the yards he, he knows everything He'd give us an Ed Burke update uh oh the YouTube live stream chat is uh, getting crazy here we're talking about Popeyes I guess Stephen weighs in he says <laughs> and a large order of Cajun fries he loves the Cajun fries those are pretty good fries. Yeah. And then David says, what, no shrimp? <laughs> Popeye's has shrimp? You're damn right. I, That's I the know. number 10. What it is, is uh, sh half shrimp, half chicken. I did tenders. not know that. I just always get this chicken at Popeye's. And you by the way, I, just, out a little. Uh, I have to say, there's uh, a fine chicken place in Evanston. Cap and I, shout out to my good friend Cap, went and saw on Tuesday night. Did I tell you this, Steve? 5.50 in Evanston? 5.50? <laughs> oh, you're All admitting right. this. Yeah. $5.50, folks. No excuse not to go see a movie. Uh, and Evanston, we saw uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, third time.
time. And then afterwards, we went to the chicken shack and had some delicious chicken. I wasn't right. going to mention it because I thought you were trying to hide the fact that you've seen this movie three times in theaters. It but is you're kind just of embar- sharing it with the world, huh? <laughs> it is kind of embarrassing. I love that movie so much. That's good times. All right. Well, let's move on here. Right. Uh, in other Illinois political family news, House Speaker Michael Joseph Madigan's daughter and former Illinois Attorney General Lisa Madigan looks like she's found her latest endeavor after stepping down as the AG. The following comes from Crane's Chicago Business. Greg Hines? Not Greg Hines. Oh, come on, Greg. Not Greg Hines. <laughs> Who I broke the story? I, I forgot to put it on here. Oh, I'll, I'll find it, it before not the Greg news. Hines. And everybody knows Greg Hines is a political columnist. I'll, for, I'll go and look it up after. What's Greg Hines best known for, D? I, I'm not. I'm, I've been trying to book this guy. <laughs> and you get us in this corner every time. He's not the world's greatest Stop. poker player. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but uh, I'm sure he's a He's really good at like gin rummy, I think, but not poker. Right, I almost had him booked for an interview. Let me check my email here. Uh, okay, nothing yet from Greg Hines. So anything far, from Rom? Clear. By the way, uh, what about Rom? Uh, he biked a lot. I just biked around Lake Michigan. Uh, okay. He's busy biking. All right. He won't bike in anytime soon. No, he's not going to bike in anytime soon. So nothing yet from Greg Hines. We're still in the clear. Maybe okay. we'll get that interview after all. Yeah, Stop sure. talking about how awful he is a poker. Uh, <laughs> Following comes from Crane Chicago yeah. Business. I'll find who wrote it in a minute. Former Illinois Attorney General Lisa Madigan has joined the country's largest law firm, Kirkland & Ellis. Oh my goodness. Madigan is a partner in the firm's litigation practice, working out of the Chicago and Washington, D.C. offices. Ben, your response to that was, Oh my goodness. <laughs> what do you know about Kirkland and Ellis? Big time law firm, as you said. They are on both sides of the fence. They got Republicans there. They got Democrats there. They're making mega money, folks. Uh, by the way, uh, on a tangent here, can I just give a shot? Would you say billions? They make billions? Uh, well, billions. Would they in a year? I don't know. You know, I don't know. I mean, billion isn't what it used to be. I'm hundreds of millions. They're big time, man. They're like lobby. They lobby the city of Chicago, but that's just their little Chicago branch. I mean, this is a national, international uh, law. Yes, Uh, that's billion with a B. (laughs) I didn't know you were going there. Uh, Billions with a B, which rhymes with P, which stands for pool right here in River City. What is that? Where does that come from? You said that Uh, yesterday. too. Yes. Well, okay. This is a generational gap right here on the Ben Jarofsky show where the host who's old and uh, the producer who's young uh, have different worldviews. And there's a movie called The Music Man, which came out long before you were born. And there's a song where the guy goes uh, something with a P and something with a B and it rhymes with P and that stands for pool right here in River City. So whenever I hear it go, that rhymes with B, what, that's what clicks, D. Which rhymes with P, but pool, blah, 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 blah. Anyway, <laughs> still no email from uh, Greg Hines, but I did just check. Yeah, we lost all of our live <laughs> listeners with that thing you just did. All right, by the way, oh, a lot of music. Uh, uh, I'm sure there's a, a lot of fans of that show. By the way, City paid $213 million to defend cops in trouble. A great article in the Tribune. I urge everyone after the show to read it by uh, reporter Dan Hinkle. Uh, Tribune, give Dan Hinkle a raise. He did a great job. But it talks about uh, how during the, uh, from the O's, into, uh, oh, not too long ago, uh, the city of Chicago under Mayor Rahm and Mayor Daley decided it was a good
good idea to hire outside attorneys from these big time firms like Kirkland Ellis. I don't believe uh, Kirkland Ellis is one of the firms, at least they weren't mentioned in the story. So you want to know how powerful these law firms are, D? They get a lot of money from uh, governments like the city of Chicago, the state of Illinois, the federal government. They have a lot of inside dealing and wheeling. And so in this particular article, the city of Chicago decided it was a good idea to farm out the business uh, to private lawyers. Got about $213 million in the Tribune. Uh, Dan Hinkle tallied it up. So I want to say one nice thing about that TIF deal. At least it was city lawyers handling the appeal uh, or uh, handling the fight against the um, to preserve the TIF. They didn't bother to go to Kirkland and Ellis or uh, to some uh, other law firm uh, to, um, to 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 pay even more money for something that we can pay a lawyer in house to do. So anyway, that's the kind of thing that uh, Lisa Madigan will be doing. Uh, Dan Hinkle, you ever play poker with him? No, no, I don't. <laughs> He's probably a millennial. So uh, this poker game that I keep alluding to was about in 1981. Oh, right? wow. It was, a, it was a young Greg Hines, okay? <laughs> and a slightly old Ben Jarofsky. Uh, I was, <laughs> I was my, I, back then? My goodness. I was in my prime. Wait, I got an email. Hold on. Okay, we just lost the Hines interview. Uh, Way to go, Ben. <laughs> what about the Rom interview? Any updates on He's that? He's never coming. Oh, okay. Rom interview. <laughs> Oh, well. Good Lord. I, I can't help it. All right. So there's, there's that. Mm-hmm. Um, what was I going to do? Oh, we have some uh, people uh, weighing in on the Pendrowski Show Facebook page here. Right. Carol. Carol is weighed in. How's it going, Carol? She's listening live mm-hmm. on Facebook Live. Uh, she says here, I expect Ed to step down before the end of his term. Well, I wish he would. Yeah, <laughs> I, I share that wish, but I got a feeling they're going to uh, have to drag him out of office. And he's just got reelected. How about that, D? <clears throat> he, uh, the people of the 14th Ward like him, and they reelected him, even though, uh, well, I don't know, was he officially under indictment when the election happened, or was he just under investigation? I cannot remember. That's where we need Adolfo Mandragon. He knows that stuff inside out, right, D? Uh, and then Carol says, ah, I missed the earlier half. Damn. Well, don't worry, Carol, because you can download that, ha- that part you missed. After today's show at both Chicago Reader and Chicago Sun-Times, what are you doing with your I'm fingers? I'm doing after the show. <laughs> oh, he's doing finger moves After there. the show. After the show, you can download uh, the Chicago Reader and Chicago Sun-Times yeah. websites. So uh, download it, huh? Oh. That'd be pretty cool. Or you can rewatch it on YouTube. Either way, the beginning's yeah. on there. I, uh, By the way, I got a, a, just a text. I'm going to put my phone away. People like to text me when I'm uh, on the show. Someone cursing you out again for on Lincoln Yards and Lightfoot? Uh, uh, no. <laughs> no. <laughs> Wait, hold on. Maybe it was. Oh, here we oh. Go. oh, yeah. Ben, kiss my beep. Judge Cohen. Oh, oh. Hey, hey, okay. Wow. Well, anyway, I told you, Mama Cohen didn't raise any fools, okay? Judge Cohen's not like, uh uh, city council, don't dump this on me. All right, so that's about uh, the local news going on today. Uh, we got a few more minutes here before Miles Conflassen joins us. Ben, riff on that TIFF thing again. Well, you know, I'm going to show some restraint. Uh, I've been talking about, remember uh, we, when we did the bonus feature? Okay, so I was critical of Lori Lightfoot in a, col- a reader column or two uh, and uh, on the show, in uh, particularly in uh, uh, having to do with the Lincoln Yard TIFF. I do not understand, as I've said. I'm, and I'm, listen, listen to how uh, measured I am, D, okay? 
very Carlos Ramirez Rosa like. I'm very measured. Remember how measured he was when he came on the show when he was critiquing uh, Lori Lightfoot? So I'm being very measured. I do not know or understand uh, why a uh, mayoral candidate who would run as a TIF reformer would at once elected mayor would send um, her lawyers, city lawyers, paid for by your tax dollars into court to preserve the deal. See how measured I am, D? Very measured. <laughs> so I can never understand that. Uh, and so when I put that in the article, in my reader column, and I said this here, uh, many Lori Lightfoot supporters got upset with me. Uh, I believe you called them Lori lovers. Yeah. <laughs> and they uh, sent me uh, tax emails basically telling me, kiss my beep. So uh, I said, you know what? I'm going to reach out. So I brought on two Lori Lightfoot supporters. Lori Glenn was one of them. Remember that, D? Yep. Uh, and we had a very nice civil uh, interview, a discussion. We aired it as a bonus feature. I think it ran on Monday. Am I correct about that, D? Yes, you uh, are. Yes, sir. Wait, I mean. That's correct. Uh, thank you. And um, and so, but in the course of that, uh, I got a little, you know, me, I get a little carried away. And Lori Glenn goes, look at you. Your face is all red. Remember, she's, your face is all red. By the way, when she said that, she was pointing her finger at me, which is kind of interesting. And I felt kind of like, uh, did you ever see that movie, Anger Management? Oh, Jack Nicholson and Adam Sandler? Yeah, where, where Sandler's on the plane, and uh, Nicholson's saying, you're out of control. And Wait, Sam I saw the cover. I didn't see the oh, movie. Oh, you didn't see the movie? But he's totally calm, and they say he's, he's losing control. So I kind of felt like that at that moment. But it's really easy for me uh, to uh, get passionate about these deals. And so I'll tell you ultimately why. Here's one reason anyway. Uh, the TIFs increase the amount of money you pay in property taxes, Chicago. In fact, it increases the amount anybody pays in property taxes, no matter where you live. So if you live in Oak Park, you pay more in property taxes because of your TIFs. If you live in Evanston, you pay more in property taxes because of your TIFs. So a lot of people in the city of Chicago, a lot of people in Evanston, a lot of people in Oak Park, I'm just naming a few suburbs, they were trying to put a TIF in Kenilworth, D. And uh, this is supposed to be instruments to help the poorest of the poor, uh, Eradicate blight in the poorest of poor neighborhoods. How that would apply to Kenilworth, I do not know. Maybe someone should file a suit about that. Bring it before Judge Cohen, huh, D? Uh. Uh, and Cohen's like, uh-uh, no, no, no. You're not going to get me to do that. Um, so anyway, uh, it's raising property taxes. So it's a curious thing because they're in court saying you have no standing to object to this TIF, even though it's going to raise your property taxes. So they're saying, D, you have no right to complain about how the city is spending your money, how they're allocating dollars, your property tax dollars, even though it raises your property taxes. It's an interesting interpretation of the rights of citizens, the limitations of citizen rights. I guess we have no rights to complain about property taxes. We just simply write the check and send it in, huh, D? So uh, anyway, that is one of the many reasons. See, see how calm and measured I am? I know. I'm very good. You know, I learned my lesson from that interview with Lori, with Lori Glenn, okay? That conversation with Lori Glenn. And I'm not going to point my finger at you, even though I'm pointing my finger at you. Anyway, so that is one of the many reasons uh, I've been opposed to that TIF deal. And folks, I just want to remind you that your taxes will be going up. And don't get mad at me just because I'm the one 
who is the messenger. Send your hate mail to BennyJShow at gmail.com. BennyJShow at gmail.com. Let Ben know what you think. We may read it on the air, you know. Uh, we posted on the Ben Jarofsky Show Facebook page the story of uh, Ann Burke. Uh, she said she's humbled and honored to become Chief of Justice of Illinois Supreme Court. Uh, we had people weigh in here. Natalie says, oh, geez, this has to be a joke. <laughs> Uh, unfortunately, it's uh, the punchline is, well, the joke's on you, Natalie, and all the citizens of this great state. The oh, Burks and, have been uh, around for a long time. There was nothing, uh, we, what we do here on the local news is we keep track of uh, our governor's and mayor's daily schedule. No public events once again scheduled for J.B. Pritzker. So, Ben, let's have a little fun here. What's J.B. Pritzker doing right now at this moment? Well, he's listening to the show. Okay. Yeah, big fan of the Ben Jarofsky show, all right? He's listening to the show, and he probably, he's probably going, well, Ben, you're a little unfair. All right, now that's true. You're a little unfair to Judge Cohen, all right? Uh, and uh, so, yeah, I'm sure he's listening to the show. And uh, uh, What do you think J.B. Pritzker thinks of the, tip, uh, the Lincoln Yards deal? Well, okay. J.B. Pritzker uh, was very uh, – he was – how do I put it? We always like to joke about him. What did we say? He was like Fred Astaire. Uh, he uh, was uh, with Sugar Ray Pritzker. Remember that smooth joke? Smooth as butter. Yeah, smooth as butter because that was a deal uh, in which the the city of Chicago was spending dollars to subsidize a lot of well-to-do, very powerful or real estate interests uh, who had their connections to um, Democratic Party. And it's a lot of jobs. So J.B. Pritzker was very reluctant to come out and forcefully speak out against that. Similarly, he was very reluctant to come out and forcefully speak against the Amazon deal. Remember that, D? When those days we used to ask him about Amazon and he'd be ducking and dodging. Well, oh, man, it's well, a lot. Uh, huh. <laughs> Huh. Yeah, so uh, hmm. fortunately for the city of Chicago and the state of Illinois, we were not on the hook for the Amazon deal. Uh, we are on the hook for uh, uh, Lincoln Yard. So I think J.B. Pritzker generally falls into the category of Democrats, and that's this is most of the Democrats in the state of Illinois who view these subsidies as good for business and good for jobs. And so uh, they'll kind of look the other way uh, at all the problems with the programs and allow them to continue. And then when uh, somebody like me asks them about it, they'll say, yeah, Ben, you raised a good point. There's a lot of things we have to look into and we're going to look into them. And then the, the deals continue to happen, D. Uh, so, you know, it's, um, well, how do I put this, D? It, it takes a special kind of politician uh, to take like these uh, populist stands against these inside deals. And I haven't seen that politician in the state of Illinois, in my lifetime, with uh, power, a lot of power. Definitely not in the last 20 or 30 years. I can't think of anyone. So that's kind of where J.B. Pritzker stands in this. Not unlike Lori Lightfoot, by the way. All right, J.B. Pritzker, by the way, still on the mend, on crutches. He broke his femur. Get better, big guy. I'm yeah. not a perfect person. <laughs> so there you are, some local news happening this afternoon. Uh, we got Miles Conflassen coming in very, very shortly. But, Ben, we need to tell all of our listeners that they can get the inside scoop on all things Chicago Bears this football season. Not from this show, all right? We do politics. Every now and again, Ben will talk about how he can't stand the Bears. Well, no, that is not true. Oh, wait okay. until next week. They might do well, and wait, I love them. I love 
the Chicago Bears. Oh, okay. I believe the quote you had uh, right after the game uh, Friday was, let me make sure I get this right. The Bears suck. Okay, that that doesn't mean I do not love them, okay? <laughs> I've been a Bears fan since 1966. Gail Sayers, all right? Dick Butkus, okay? Jack Concanon, all right? Dick Gordon, okay? Doug Buffon, all right? Ed Obradovich, I'm a big Bears fan, but they sucked last Thursday, and it really irritated me to no end, and I'm still not over it yet, D. How, man, did you guys see Deshaun Watson on Monday night throwing touchdowns how come we don't have a quarterback throw a touchdown and that's the sports talk for today's program <laughs> sorry get the inside scoop on all things chicago bears this football season with the annual sun times bears magazine dive into features of players coaches games and plays and get excited for the 100th count them 100th season of football this collectible magazine is just what you need to get ready for this fall along with pants and uh, a scarf. You can (laughs) order your copy of this magazine at suntimes.com forward slash the letter C, the letter T is in Tom, shop. Grab your copy today and don't go anywhere. Plenty more of the Ben Jarofsky Show on the way. It's the Ben Jarofsky Show live from the Chicago Sun-Times for your Thursday, September 12th. Read the Chicago Reader to get up to speed on what's what in Chicago. Culture, food, arts and entertainment, weekly concert listings, weekly event listings, the environment, travel. I can continue, but you get the point. And for all of you Chicago political junkies, raw weekly columns on real city politics from Maya Dukmasova and our very own Ben Jarofsky. The Chicago Reader, free to the public in newsstands throughout the city and online at chicagoreader.com. Read it now and be a more informed Chicagoan. Attention Chicago innovators and creators, 2019 Chicago Ideas Week is coming soon. October 12th through the 17th, this annual Ideas Festival is back, and it's the largest, most affordable Ideas Festival of its kind. They bring in hundreds of thought leaders from around the globe and some local to share ideas and spark action all across Chicago. To get a better idea of what to expect, here's a bit of audio from last year's Chicago Ideas Week with special guest and Chicago comedian Cameron Esposito. Everything that I have ever tried to do has had two motivations. One is I really do believe in trying to create social change. And then the other one is I'm scared and alone too. So I would like for you to join me. You know, every job that I have, I try to make sure to hold the door open. That's like my uh, motto for, for, um, like if I get through, you're coming with me. And I really, I believe in that wholeheartedly. And, uh, especially if I have more privilege than you, like I'm holding the door open for you, um, even wider. October 12th to the 17th. It's 2019 Chicago ideas week. Tickets go on sale to members on August 22nd and to general public September 10th. Once again, if you're an innovator or creator in the city of Chicago or even outside the city, you must join us for Chicago Ideas Week, October 12th through the 17th. For tickets and event information, head to chicagoideas.com. That's chicagoideas.com. And we hope to see you October 12th through the 17th for 2019 Chicago Ideas Week. Back to the Ben Jarofsky Show, live from the Chicago Sun-Times. Yes, indeed. Miles Complesson in the studio. Uh, and uh, from these times, and you have uh, some updates about uh, basketball, uh, the debates, etc. But the thing we really want to know 
chicken gate. First of all, did you bring any chicken? I got no chicken for oh, you. Oh, like, damn. <laughs> What good are you? Go out and get some Popeyes. <laughs> well, I'll tell you the what they've done. As you probably noticed, there is no uh, chicken sandwiches around. They yeah. have these big signs that say "Be right back." There was this huge, you know, the, the supply is not kept up with demand clearly, and there was just not enough buns to go around. So what they're saying now is something about bring your own bun. Just order the chicken fingers. I don't, you know, it's not the real thing. Uh, and uh, yeah, no, it's not the real. The joke is, of course, we will continue this gag for about at least another month. Um, Miles Conflasson about two weeks ago did a great, in my humble opinion, story uh, in Jacobin, not in these times. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we talked about it here on the show about uh, how Popeyes was uh, rolling in the dough from their chicken sandwich, but they're not sharing it with their workers, and exactly. the workers are getting screwed. So I've been having fun with that ever since. Well, and since then, you know, I. I talked about some of my detractors last week uh, on both the right and purportedly on the left. Uh, but <laughs> since then, there was actually another piece uh, written in the New York Daily News, of all places, by um, a woman who, uh, she's kind of a modern-day Barbara Ehrenreich. She kind of went back, and um, she's a, a great writer, but she um, went back and did uh, took a job doing uh, fast food work. And so she talks about you know these issues from the perspective of somebody who has you know lived uh under the conditions that fast food workers live under, low pay, you know, very hectic work conditions, total precarity, no um, uh, security in the job. And so she linked to that piece that, that I wrote and said, this is hopefully an example of how the media can change their coverage because there has been so much media coverage of these like fast food crazes. You know, they want to talk about it. There was this whole Szechuan sauce thing with McDonald's, which is kind of a weird Rick and Morty show reference that happened like uh, a couple years ago. And the media was all talking about how the companies couldn't keep up with, you know, what the consumers wanted and everything, but it didn't cover it in the, from the perspective of the workers. And so she pointed to um, the, the piece I wrote uh, at, at, in Jacobin, as you said, as an example of maybe this can change, you know, so how we approach these um, various cultural moments where mm-hmm. fast food is, is, is in the news and actually talk about it from the perspective of the people that are on the front lines that are facing the worst conditions. So that was heartening to see, uh, you know, after having uh, been under fire in the past to see, you know, New York Daily News stepping up and Step it up uh, and showing, you know, they yeah, maybe care for the you. workers themselves. All right. Since we're on a labor, uh, Ben, let's start off with labor. I want to talk presidential debate, of course, that's tonight. Uh, but uh, and uh, to chat a little bit about that. The, the contrasting advice offered to Democrats uh, from two Chicago political strategists, one David Axelrod, the other Rahm Emanuel. We'll get into all that. Uh, but uh, California folks, I don't know if you follow this, everybody. Uh, I don't know how much California news gets followed uh, in the state of Illinois, in the city of Chicago. But the General Assembly in California uh, passed a bill, uh, Assembly Bill 5, they call it, which would effectively make Uber and Lyft drivers, employees, as opposed to private contractors. The bill was passed. It has not yet been signed into law by uh, Governor Newsom of, of California, a Democrat, I should say. But, you know, he says he's going to sign it, but it looks like he's trying to work a deal at the same time uh, because Uber and Lyft are, have vowed to vociferously fight it. Uber has already said they're, they're, they don't feel as though uh, they have to follow that law and they just won't follow it. Uh, and uh, I believe both of them, both of those companies said they're spending uh, millions of dollars to pass a referendum that would uh, block the bill. 
And uh, so they're ready to have a big fight. But uh, let's talk about the importance. And we'll probably talk about this uh, more in the show in the union segment with Sharice Williams. Uh, but uh, the, the significance of this bill, if it if it is uh, signed by the governor. Well, it's very interesting that this came in the same week that uh, there's a big announcement here, obviously, that Uber is planning on moving into the old main post office as their, you know, new kind of Chicago headquarters. They're going to, you know, throw all this money into it. They clearly see Chicago because of their past dealings with Rahm Emanuel, as you remember when we had to, you know, the previous regulations, which were incredibly watered down, that passed through uh, the mayor's office um, with his um, being on board. That was a few years back. So Uber sees Chicago as really a place that they can flourish. And what we should say is that the contents of this bill, this AB5 bill, it really goes to the heart of this sharing economy or gig economy and uh, works to, you know, what the business class has seen this as kind of the wild west where we can you know do innovation and entrepreneurship but it all again happens to come at the expense of workers who have very little protections in this whole scheme as we know there's right now there's no basic job protections that these companies need to offer their employees whether it's minimum wage whether it's health care whether paid sick days um, and as a result, there's people working, you know, incredible amounts of hours. You could say it's their own choice to do it, but is it really your choice when you, you know, have to when drive? You have a, no choice when you have yeah, to drive yeah. a car all day just to yeah. be able to afford a meager health insurance plan for your kids. You know, I don't see that as, you know, this is oh, this is people just trying to get rich. Most drivers are not getting rich off of Uber and Lyft or any of these sharing economies. It's young, precarious workers largely, and now there's a bunch of older workforce moving into it. You know, even retirees who are just trying to supplement the meager incomes that they have. So what this bill in uh, California would do would actually provide these types of protections to over 1 million uh, low-wage workers across the state, a huge number, obviously, and it's all kinds of companies, not just Uber and Lyft, but also uh, companies like DoorDash and Postmates, these you know sharing economy companies, so-called, and uh, Uber and Lyft are not happy about it at all. You know, it was, as you mentioned, Uber says that they're going to not just fight it, they're going to find some legal loophole to yeah. say that they're, because what the, a law effectively would do is treat workers for these companies as employees rather yeah. than just contractors who you can, you know, just, you know, hire and fire as you please and not care for or take care of whatsoever. So it would provide those basic protections and say, no, these are actually workers, they're employees of your company and you have to treat them as such. Um, Uber is going to try to find a way around that. But it's telling that in the face of this law, what Uber and Lyft did is they offered actually to a $21 minimum wage to their employees in California. So clearly they're pretty scared. They see they're and they're offering concessions. This is what any anytime there's a labor action taken, just take a look at, you know, what happened with the strikes across the country. There's the powers that be are going to start to suddenly they come up with some money. They start to come up with some offerings that they can do because they don't don't want to actually face the results of workers being empowered and you know coming together because hey once they're then once they're employees of a company what's to stop them from then forming a union trying to collectively bargain and actually wrench some concessions off of the executives of Uber and Lyft who obviously are making you know massive sums of profits themselves while their workers are stuck driving cars all day for a pittance so what they're also doing is they uh, so they offered that 21 minimum dollar wage that might be part of these negotiations with Governor Newsom that they're going through right now, but um, but the 
the assembly passed it, so it's ready to go. And, it's ready to go, yeah. And, and it's about to go. With, but what they're doing, their their second plan, as you reference as well, is they're going to put Uber and Lyft together. I think with DoorDash, um, I have said that they are going to put ninety million dollars into a campaign to pass a ballot measure in twenty twenty because this law would go into effect January first, twenty twenty. So they want to. Um, be able to avoid that by passing a ballot initiative on the ballot, and they're going to put $90 million into doing that, which would provide carve-outs for their companies. So this goes to show how, you know, concentrated capital will work at any extent, uh, you know, to protect their interests, even if it means, you know, screwing over masses of workers. $90 million is no joke. No joke. Uh, They'd rather spend that money fighting this bill than give that money to uh, their employees. Uh, and a couple of interesting side notes. Again, we're probably talking about this more in the labor segment. But uh, one thing I was noticed when I was reading the articles about this, Miles, is that Uber and Lyft drivers right now are not in a union. Uh, and they, they haven't even, as far as I understand, taken those first steps to form a union uh, to you know get signatures and cards, et cetera, and then file them for have an election to see if there'll be a collective bargaining unit. And yet... Uh, uh, Uber and Lyft, the companies, are effectively negotiating with SEIU, the uh, the union that is more or less representing uh, the organizing the, the the drivers. So it's very bizarre. They don't officially recognize them as a union. That Lyft and Uber don't recognize their employees as, as union members. There is no collective bargaining unit, and yet they're dealing with this yeah. is how much they don't want this law to pass. Yeah, they're doing anything they can, I think, to protect. Because this, make no mistake, this if this law goes into effect, California obviously is the biggest economy in our country, um, and it sets you know, the terms. That's why Trump is so always goes after California and tries to scapegoat it because the, the laws and regulations and milestones that are set in California are going to reverberate across the country. And this would amount to a wholesale transformation of the gig economy and bring it back under the rules of the traditional economy that all other, you know, employers have to operate under. Well, uh, I would think if it starts, in this case, it's starting in California, it will eventually move east. I believe there'll probably be an effort in Chicago and Illinois, if it hasn't already happened, I'm just not aware of it. Uh, And I think in this political climate in in the state of Illinois with J.B. Pritzker, uh, the way he's been ruling uh, since he got uh, took office and uh, the Democrats controlling the House and the Senate, I believe that there's a very good chance a similar bill like AB5, where you uh, recognize Uber drivers and Lyft drivers as employees as opposed to private contractors uh, could pass in the state of Illinois, at least now, uh, now that Rahm Emanuel's no longer the mayor of the city of Chicago. Yeah, well, obviously Rahm has tons of connections in the gig economy world. I mean, he came out of the Obama administration. You look at people from Robert Gibbs on down, all these former alums that were, you know, uh, Rahm's colleagues have gone in to make massive profits off of, out of this industry as being representatives, as being communications guys. So um, there, that obstacle is gone, although Rahm has now <laughs> ascended to a different level where he's, you know, inviting de- Democrats nationally now. But uh, that's it's quite possible what it will come down to, I think, is the lobbying efforts of these companies and how uh, politicians are able to operate around that so that they are not, you know, enthralled to the same interests that have kind of dominated um, the legislatures around the country for so long. Well, all right, since you mentioned Rom, uh, let's end... I was yes, going to say, yeah, you went on Twitter uh, a few days ago and you said, headlines don't always capture the true essence of stories I write. 
but no one should ever listen to anything Rahm Emanuel <laughs> has to say about politics remains a truism. Yeah, that's that was that's that's one of the headlines. I will, you know, you could put that, you know, right there on, on my gravestone. I'll well, stand by that. Well, that said, we had a lot of fun yesterday talking about the advice Rahm gave to the Democratic candidates. And again, one more time, folks, the debate will be tonight. Uh, we talk we'll be talking a lot about it tomorrow uh, and we'll do a bonus segment. I believe Dave, we got uh, uh, Leticia Wallace will be coming in uh, with Samina Mustafa. We'll do a bonus segment. Uh, we'll be taping that tomorrow and probably uh, uploading it for Monday. But anyway, uh, Rahm offered his advice. So why don't we play that portion of the interview and uh, get Miles' response? Take it away, Rahm. We've taken a position so far, and the candidates have, through the process, a few have not, about on basically Medicare for All, which is we're going to eliminate 150 million people's health care, and we're going to provide health care for people that just come over the border. That is an untenable position for the general election. I, as you know, George, I just biked around Lake Michigan, nearly 1,000 miles, through Michigan and Wisconsin, two really important states. Nobody at a diner ran at me and said, take my health care away. Nobody. This is this is reckless as it relates to, and you don't have to take the position to win the primary, and you're basically, literally hindering yourself for the general election. All right, here we go. This is the debate that's uh, occurring in the Democratic Party right now. Uh, this is the sort of advice uh, that the Rom wing of the Democratic Party is giving all the candidates. Uh, and they're giving this to the electorate. And that is that uh, if you push too hard to have health care for everybody, if you take the uh, the view that health care is a right we all should have, you are dooming yourself to loss. And therefore, you should preserve the status quo. I don't even know what he wants. He, he doesn't seem like he wants to fight for anybody. Uh, and uh, but. I personal my personal belief, Miles, that this is a recipe for disaster for the Democrats to follow Rom's advice. Uh, how do you see it? Uh, yeah, you summed it up pretty well there. I, I don't think that uh, there's there's a real constituency for what Rahm Emanuel is selling right now, other than the political class in D.C. and kind of the chattering classes of Washington media. As you could see in the clip, um, you know, if you watch it, he's sitting next to Chris Christie, one of the truly noxious figures in our political history who was, you know, ashamed basically out of politics by Donald Trump and now is his hatchet man in some way. Um, and they're, you know, laughing it up, right? Because this is just goes to show, you know, there's all these traditional claims about the ruling class. Does, it doesn't matter what party you're in. You know, you all basically have the same interests. Well, Rahm Emanuel is somebody who's made, you know, when he worked as an investment baker, banker briefly under uh, Bruce Rauner, not that briefly, it was a few years, but he made $16 million uh, in just a few years. That's more, you know, than 10 times what most people will make in their whole lifetimes. Uh, and he made it in just a few years. This is somebody who's you know, there it's it's not even ideological. I don't think with Rahm Emanuel, it's more he knows the interests that he wants to protect, and he knows the kind of politics that he wants to um, have the Democratic Party represent on a national scale. And that's what he was hired to do when he was hired as an ABC contributor, when he was hired as an Atlantic columnist. He was hired to give these kind of backwards tired takes that say, you know, <laughs> whoa, 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 Democrats, we're going way too far. What about, you know, the guy in middle America? What about the suburban mom in Pennsylvania? As if these mythic creatures represent the same interest that he does, a multimillionaire who, you know, former banker who's been like a politico throughout his entire life, who prides himself on being, you know, uh, 
capable of getting on everybody's nerves and <laughs> shaking up politics and stuff. Yeah. If you look at his history, can I just say, Rahm yeah. Emanuel, he has never been hard when it comes to Republicans. He's only done that when it's come to progressives and leftists in his own party. Those are the areas where Rahm Emanuel will, you know, swear up and down and say F-U-A-W and F-U Lewis, you know. He comes after people that uh, he perceives as his enemies, which are those on the left, not those on the right. So yeah. I think that that motivates his line of thinking. And if the Democratic Party nationally thinks that that is the type of, you know, scion you want to be leading your party into 2020 to take on Donald Trump, it's you got another thing coming. And luckily, the candidates don't seem to buy that because as Rom notes in that uh, clip, the leading candidates are... Um, largely embracing the at least the framework of Medicare yeah. for all. You know, Elizabeth Warren came out with her plan today for Medicare for all, which is pretty similar to Bernie Sanders, although potentially could leave the door open to continuing to have some employer based private insurance, whereas uh, Sanders plan is a full national health care plan. Uh, but even Biden talks about the public option for health care now. I mean, do you think he'd be talking about that if the, the climate around the issue of health care hadn't changed dramatically since 2016? I don't think so. And Rom wants to take it back. You know, yeah. he wants to take us back to the Hillary Clinton approach, which yeah. was basically just double down on Obamacare and that's it, as if that's happy. I mean, the, the, one of the issues driving the electorate the most this year, it's not just the economy, it's health care, because it's 30 million people without health care. There's many millions more that are underinsured that can't afford their premiums, and they're worried about it because it's their basic health. And well, so that's what I think that most people are going to look to, not Rahm's and, advice. And before I get more further into the advice offered by the Rahm's of the Democratic Party and David Axel, just think for a moment, uh, I'm picturing that I did not see the actual show. Uh, the, where Rom appeared with... Uh, You're lucky. Yeah, yeah I'm I, I usually sleeping during those shows. But anyway, um, just think about that for a moment, though. They're positioning this as a debate between the left and the right. And the left is represented by Rahm Emanuel. And Rahm Emanuel is essentially, as you put it, uh, metaphorically speaking anyway, at war with like the real left. Yeah. So this notion that this is a debate... You know, when you, you you go, I like to say on my show, I start with Joe Biden and I move left, okay? Yeah. And I've had Green Party people come on. The, I mean, Rahm Emanuel is so far removed, Miles, from even like Elizabeth Warren Democrats, you know what I mean? Cory Booker Democrats. Yeah. Uh, I think... I think Mayor Pete is even to the left of Mayor Rahm. Well, and I don't think that Rahm has a direct line to um, any of these potential nominees, except for maybe Joe Biden. You know, that's the only uh, administration he could most likely have any type of influence upon, let alone a job in. Whereas, you know, in 2008, he was lifted up as, you know, Obama's chief of staff. He had massive amounts of influence in Washington. So he sees he's got no way in with Warren's campaign or with Bernie's campaign. And uh, the, the Biden's basically the only thing left. I doubt he even, you know, has, you know, he obviously was part of the uh, Obama-Biden administration, but I don't think he has major lines into the campaign there either. But this is what he's hired to do, you know, to be this uh, spokesperson for centrism at a time that Americans have wholesale rejected it and said that we don't want this kind of tepid response to um, political crises. We want to see actual 
you know, bold, transformative policies put on display. And that's what is represented by candidates like Sanders and Warren. And that's why Rahm is, you know, doing anything he can, citing going to diners in Michigan or Wisconsin or whatever to say he's, you know, he gets the real man or something. You did the reporting saying that he, you know, when he was mayor, who was he meeting with? He wasn't going to diners meeting with people. He's meeting with his investment banker friends. That's his constituency. Those are the people he represents. Yeah, no, uh, that was pretty funny, the notion in a diner. All right, David Axelrod, we, I uh, already alluded to this, wrote an essay for the New York Times, Let Trump Destroy Trump. It's an interesting little essay he wrote. David Axelrod, of course, was is a political strategist from the city of Chicago, uh, senior strategist for Barack Obama. We all know who David Axelrod is. Uh, now he is a director of the Institute of Politics, University of Chicago, and the host of the Axe Files. Anyway, uh, so he wrote this essay, and it's funny. It's sort of like, um, it's like this very zen state of him. It's like listening to Phil Jackson talk, articulate about Bulls defense or something. Uh, here's how he, um, he, he, he ends the story. Uh, uh, Trump's thermonuclear politics may rally both his base and Democrats who slumbered in 2016. It is the paralyzing disorder and anxieties b- b- bilious behavior creates that is a distressing turnoff to voters at the margins who will make the difference. To win, the Democrats will have to turn Mr. Trump's negative energy against him without embodying it themselves. It's like, whoa, that's like some heavy stuff, man. <laughs> I got to bring out the bong when I read that one. Yeah. Uh, but to turn Don't Mr. Smoke Trump... pot in here. Oh, sorry, man. Uh, to turn Mr. Trump's negative energy... It's going to be legal as of uh, June, January 1st. Just want to let you know. All but right. not in a building. Um, we'll have turned Mr. Trump's negative energy against him without embodying it themselves. They got to uh, do jujitsu, he's saying. He sounds like Marion Williamson or something. Yeah, it's really this. right out of Marion. Williamson. He's looking into his orb. And uh, so you read the essay. What do you think yeah. of his advice? Well, you might not surprise your listeners to know that I'm uh, take some objection to it. Not because I mean he makes some uh, very fair points that Donald Trump is shooting himself in the foot at every step, and you know he's in many ways his own worst enemy. Um, that said. The takeaway, and correct me if you have something different, my takeaway from this was basically Democrats do nothing. You know, sit back and, you know, don't take any far, you know, don't propose anything that might shake things up. Just kind of let the... You know, let this all play out and don't don't play Trump's own game, you know. And to me, I just don't see he's not proposing any policies. He's not proposing that the Democrats, you know, champion one single issue or that they take a different approach to politics. He's just saying kind of, you know, let let Trump do his thing. Well, the the, um, this gets at the heart of uh, something we talk about so much in this show uh, and love to hear what my next guests have to say about this, is when Trump says something offensive, which is pretty much every day, yeah. when Trump crosses the line of what is acceptable behavior, which is pretty much every day. We talked about this yesterday with his tweet war uh, with John Legend, and uh, which is so bizarre. <laughs> and what? so how should Democrats react? And essentially what David Axelrod is arguing is that Democrats should largely not engage with Donald Trump on these matters and should let Donald Trump just ruin his own brand and uh, to to sort of solidify his point um, we're going to read again from what axelrod wrote uh, uh trump is the potential erosion uh most of great concern to trump <laughs> no this one <laughs> you know oh, <laughs> this, this is not as deep as the one where he goes uh uh 
turn Trump's negative energy against him without embodying himself. That's straight out of uh, the old Kung Fu TV show. But anyway, uh, what what would, what should be done? Of what should be of even greater concern to Trump is the potential erosion among the non-college educated white women he is counting as a core constituency. These women gave Trump a 27 point margin over Hillary Clinton in 2016. Wow. 27 points. Yet in a recent Fox News poll, Trump was beating former Vice President Joe Biden by just four points in that group. So what David Axelrod is arguing is that Donald Trump's behavior is turning, in this case, women against him. And so if the the Democrats just let Trump be Trump, they will be the beneficiaries of it. And there's no reason to get into the mud with him. And we've talked about this in the show so many times. It's like, is he just going to let him pound away? You're just going to let him call you names you're just gonna let him you know assault uh, insult your colleagues and uh, i don't know how far do you go with that well i don't think to me one thing that uh, you know is pointed to here and is often you know people bring up is that donald trump in the run-up to the 2018 midterms focused so much on this caravan of immigrants coming to the border and you know appealed to his base and the most you know basic um, xenophobic uh, tendencies that exist in certain swaths of the electorate, uh, and he failed, right? Because we did see a, a blue wave, and there's no evidence that those trumped-up fears were uh, did motivate anyone besides the most committed Trump supporters. Well, it's not like Democrats didn't respond to that. I mean, there was plenty of response in 2018 yeah. to saying, you know, we the we need to welcome refugees. We're a country made up of immigrants. You know, it's not as if there's there wasn't a response then. So to point to that and say, oh, well, Trump's going to screw himself over. Well, yeah, but there has to be some response to that. I mean, and I mean, I'm sure Trump's going to double down. But I will say there was an interesting report in um, the Daily Beast this week as well about how uh, privately Trump has fretted to his advisors about this focus focus on socialism as the, you know, primary opponent that is demonize the Democrats with the, with the exactly, and that's all that that that's what the Republican Party has been doing for you know upwards of ten years now. But they've really doubled down on it now, as you know, his Council of Economic Advisors put out this whole paper fretting about the rise of socialism in America, and they are you know in his State of the Union, he famously said America will never be a socialist country. So he's kind of using this as a way to to potentially tar Democrats. But what this Daily Beast report says, and it talks to people close to Trump, that uh, he, privately, he thinks that might not work so well because he sees how well it sells. Um, you know, talking to people about guaranteeing them health care, guaranteeing them housing, guaranteeing them education, people actually respond positively to that. And he privately has said he doesn't think that this is such a good message going forward. Say what you will about Donald Trump. He is somebody who has been able to kind of respond to the American psyche. And there's no way he would have won the Republican nomination and the presidency if he didn't have some skills at, at that. And he even understands that what all these advisors are saying of run against socialism is not necessarily going to be uh, the most effective tool because at this point, you know, everything from, you know, the, the post office to basic health care has been associated with socialism as when it comes to what the GOP says. So maybe that doesn't sound so bad to most people. And I will say, and a lot of the Cold War fears, I think, are, you know, dissipated uh, today. But also, that's a way to give an opposite message to what Trump is saying. You don't, I mean, you can just talk about how we have a responsibility as a society and a government to guarantee basic goods as rights of all people. And that is something I think people will respond to. And it doesn't mean to 
I mean, you have to respond to every tweet that Trump says, but you have to provide some type of a positive vision for where America can go and how the, you know, our political and economic systems can change to benefit working people rather than the wealthy and the oligarchs in our society that have run things for so long. And so I would just say that in, in response to this Axelrod piece that, you know, that you can let Trump, you know, be his own worst enemy and shoot himself in the foot, but you've also got to provide some type of an agenda and a platform that people can feel excited about. Otherwise, they're not going to come out and vote. And definitely, if you're going to try to inspire new voters, which is what both Warren and Bernie are banking on, is, you know, bringing in new voters into the fold. Uh, you can't just focus on that small group of, you know, some, uh, you know, women in swing states who, you know, swung the election. Yes, we should try to win those people over. But there's so many other people. I mean, you know, yeah, almost half of people, people in America here. didn't vote. We can bring, you know, new people into the process when you offer actual uh, transformative change that will make people's lives better, like canceling their student debt. Miles uh, is saying all this on the eve of the uh, tonight's pre- presidential debate. Ten Democrats will take the stage in Houston. And uh, to talk a little bit more about this with our next guest, Sharice Williams, who's already in the studio with a mystery guest. We're going to introduce our mystery guest, uh, see who that mystery guest could be. I'm very excited, D, about a mystery guest. We haven't had enough mystery guests on the show lately. I know. Uh, I'm real excited. I'm real excited, too. Uh, Miles, before we let you go, uh, you want to tell folks... uh a, where they can reach you if they want to get a hold of you and what stories you're working on. Sure. Well, if you want to reach me directly, you can email me at miles, M-I-L-E-S, at inthesetimes.com. But also, please, um, you know, you can engage with me on Twitter, which is at, at Miles K. Lassen, M-I-L-E-S-K-L-A-S-S-I-N. Um, check out inthesetimes.com. I'll have a story going up there um, this week. There's also tons of other great content. Um, we'll have some debate responses tomorrow. I'll be watching the debate, uh, keeping up with it. Um, I'm going to follow up on this chicken situation and see what goes on. <laughs> yeah, and hopefully man. we get these sandwiches back. Also, I just want to give a shout out because last night I was uh, at a playoff basketball game in and Chicago. It wasn't the Bulls. And was not, sadly, was not our beloved Chicago Bulls. But a lot of the Bulls were in attendance. We had Markinen and Kobe White and uh, Wendell Carter. A lot of the Bulls were there. And, you know, the sky won. It was, they, they, they trounced the, the, Mercury, the Phoenix Mercury. It was a great game. We had DJ Casper there leading the cha-cha slide. This is a guy who's, you know, he's made... Uh, so many homecomings and birthday parties shake it up for uh, for almost 20 years so that was very fun the cha-cha slide guy was there cha-cha slide Whoa. dj casper himself cha-cha. djc yeah if you've been, to, if you've been ch- to a wedding in the yeah. past like 20 years you probably heard the cha-cha oh, slide. oh my yeah. I used to do cha-cha slide my kids school all the time so uh uh so this guy go on yeah. to play the uh, las vegas aces on sunday it's another do or die elimination game and then if they win that they'll come back here for a five-game series so all right jump aboard man jump yeah. aboard the bandwagon get finally on, get on the chicago what? sky it's a blast yeah, one winning team in Chicago. Hear that, Bears? <laughs> anyway, all right, Miles, thank you so much. Sharice uh, Williams on deck. We're going to bring her on with the mystery guest when we return. Thank you. Attention Chicago innovators and creators, 2019 Chicago Ideas Week is coming soon. October 12th through the 17th, this annual Ideas Festival is back, and it's the largest, most affordable Ideas Festival of its kind. They bring in hundreds of thought leaders from around the globe and some local to share ideas and spark action all across Chicago. To get a better idea of what to expect, here's a bit of audio from last year's Chicago Ideas Week with special guest and Chicago comedian Hannibal Burris. The real reason I came home is just because I was trying traveling a lot anyway. I wasn't in New York that much and I don't have a full-time job in New York. I work a lot, but I'm not in New York. So it was just like, I don't, I don't need to be here. 
anymore and, I, and also I just wanted to work on different stuff here in Chicago so I have this center that I'm working on on the west side Melvina Masterminds it's going to be arts and, and then a tech program and after school programming for uh, kids in the, in the North Austin area so just wanted to be back there we go October 12th through the 17th it's 2019 Chicago Ideas Week tickets go on sale to members on August 22nd and to general public September 10th once again if you're an innovator or creator in the city of Chicago or even outside the city you must join us for chicago ideas week october 12th through the 17th for tickets and event information head to chicagoideas.com that's chicagoideas.com and we hope to see you october 12th through the 17th so really that speech yesterday because a lot of us came out of it and we thought to ourselves well i didn't learn anything new but no, I think a lot of people. It do. sounds like you weren't speaking to us. You were speaking to people, perhaps, who are a little less watching this day to day. Yeah, I'm. I'm. I'm talking to 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 taxpayers um, who um, feel like city government operates completely behind the curtain, and that they really don't understand how it is that the city is utilizing. Um, it's tax dollars. So it was really that audience that we were speaking to primarily, but not, as I said before, not just here in Chicago, but across the state. This is an issue that really unites um, a lot of us um, in cities and towns all over northern Illinois, but also south of I-80. All right, everybody, hour number two of your Ben Jarofsky show is just moments away. But before we get into that, we need to thank the following unions for jumping on board, being awesome people, and bringing back our program. First up, it's the International Association of Machinists and Aerospace Workers, Local 126 in District 8, the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local 9, and the International Union of Operating Engineers, Local 150. A giant thank you to those unions for jumping on board. And, of course, today's program is brought to you by our good friends at the Chicago Federation of Labor. Isn't that right, Robert Mueller? That's correct. Hour number two of the Ben Jarofsky Show starts right now. Okay, maybe not right now, but right now. It is Thursday, September 12th. And live from the Chicago Sun-Times Chicago Reader Studio on Racine Avenue, this is The Ben Jarofsky Show. In this hour of the program, the pride of the 10th Ward, Ishmael Cuevas, will be joining us. And we welcome Sharice Williams with the Chicago Federation of Labor with... Mystery guest. Ooh, mystery Whoa. guest. <laughs> oh, my. Yeah, man. That's some trippy stuff. <laughs> and now your host, not a mystery host, uh, Chicago Reader columnist Ben Jarofsky. Sharice is in the studio. Mystery guest is in the studio. We'll bring them both on. But first, we have an update from Dennis. Yes. How's it going? Tonight is the night, everybody. It's the 2019 Democratic presidential debate number three. 
And we're pumped about it over here on the Ben Jarofsky Show. And listeners, get this. Our host, Ben Jarofsky, doesn't know I saw this, but I saw it, okay? I saw it, buddy. I saw what you were sneaking. He brought in a little baggie today. Three different presidential Kool-Aid flavors. <laughs> yeah, man, I've been drinking a lot of Kool-Aid oh, lately. Oh, my God. He quickly put it away, but I saw all three flavors. We yeah. had Bernie Berry. Bernie Berry. <laughs> so yeah, you had that. Drinking that Bernie Wild Warren Watermelon. You had that. I and like Elizabeth Warren. Kamala Cranberry. Uh, you know, I was really drinking the Kamala Kool-Aid about a month ago. I was really feeling Kamala. Then after the um, that second debate where she didn't do so well on the health care issue, you know, she, her stock fell. But you know what? Let's see what she does tonight. She's on the stage <laughs> with the big boys and the big girls. And uh, uh, there's something about Kamala Harris that I really like, D. I won't lie to you. Oh, so, uh, and if you know anything about our host, Ben Jarofsky, <laughs> he's just sitting there waiting with those packets of Kool-Aid after tonight's bait, debate. He's going to rip one open tomorrow and be chugging it all day tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, I, Isn't that right, buddy? Yes. And <laughs> right now, the cup's empty. It's yeah. just well, water. water. I think that's yeah. Joe so, Biden's flavor. Yeah, water. Joe Biden water. <laughs> By the way, I reserve the right to drink the Joe Biden Kool-Aid. <laughs> Many of my guests of the leftist persuasion, uh, Sharice, come in here and trash Joe Biden, okay? Oh, wow. I always find myself sort of defending Joe Biden, which is a very difficult thing to do mm -hmm. uh, these days. Uh, but uh, I reserve the right to drink the Joe Biden Kool-Aid, all right? And speaking of Joe Biden, well... He's going to be at the debate tonight, and I think we found his game plan going into this debate because Joe Biden has just released a new ad. Oh. And the theme of this ad, hey, Obama's cool, guys. Okay, What's yeah. going on here? Remember Obama? He's awesome. So we have the latest ad from Joe Biden. Let's go ahead and hear it here. Take it away, Joey B. We should step back and say something we don't often say enough as a party or as a nation. Barack Obama is an extraordinary man. <laughs> She has character, courage, and vision. He was a president our children could and did look up to. He was a great president. And I was proud to serve as his vice president, but never more proud than the day we passed health care. That music. Yeah, the music is something. That just, that's uh, Joe Biden's not-so-subtle way, uh, Sharice, of reminding everyone that he was vice president to Barack Obama. Yes. Okay? In case anybody forgot right, that, right? Right, right. Uh, and I know I don't know if you saw this, but about last week or so, uh, Biden stumbled. He was giving a little talk. or I don't know where it was, but he couldn't remember Obama's name. He had one of those brain freeze uh -huh. moments. So he's like, you know, I served under... Um, um, that guy. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh, man, I've been there, Joe. Okay, I've had those we brain freeze. We've been there. Uh, so anyway, yeah, I'll be watching the debate tonight. By the way, I should have to say, uh, tonight, tonight is, is my uh, anniversary, my wedding anniversary. Uh, but I will be celebrating, my wife and I will be celebrating 37 years of wow. wedded bliss, usheries, uh, by uh, watching the Democratic <laughs> debate. But we're going to go out on Sunday, okay, all good, right? Good, we're going to go out good, on Sunday. Good, I was going to say. Yeah, because we were going to go. I told my wife, like, you know, I gotta really watch that debate to talk about it. You know, I gotta know what. Oh, all right. So you've been married 37 years. I guess you can wait a couple days to be uh, <laughs> a happy so, anniversary. Well, thank you very much. Mm -hmm. I appreciate that. All right. So, Sharice, uh, uh, you're from the Chicago Federation of Labor. Why don't you yes. introduce your mystery guest before we get started? Sure. I'm excited about my mystery guest. Um, he is Don Villar. He's our secretary treasurer of the Chicago Federation of Labor. Um, he is a fantastic union 
proud member of but I'm happy that he's here I can't wait for you guys to meet him and so Don take it away oh, thanks Sharice and <laughs> thanks Ben thanks for having me yeah Don uh, now you've been around journalism for a long time and uh, talk about you just you gave the acronym for your union talk okay. about your union a little bit so uh, I come out of the National Association of Broadcast Engineers and Employees and Technicians uh, Communication Workers of America Local 41 here in Chicago uh, the, my union represents uh, editors, photographers, uh, writers, and producers behind the, the folks behind the scenes at, at uh, ABC, NBC, Fox, Telemundo, uh, and uh, Univision, and uh, some uh, some other uh, production houses in town. Can TV uh, down the road over on the west in the west side, uh, and um, sports broadcast television. So we're we're. They like to, the tag word they use where the people who make TV happen. And uh, people still watch TV. Now, so in your career, uh, what job did you have in the, oh. in the TV industry? So I began at, uh, as a news writer producer at WLS Channel 7 here in town back in 1992. Uh, uh, actually, 1991. And prior to that, I was I had an uh, internship at WBEZ on the morning drive. So I uh, started my uh News broadcast career here, news career in Chicago, pretty much stayed, stuck around, uh, did 25 years at uh, WLS. Mm -hmm. uh, stepped down uh, in 2015 to lead the union. Yeah. So I, I, during my career, pretty much working on the morning, most of that was on the morning show. Oh, morning show, yeah. it's brutal. Yeah, brutal, but covering you, at least, you know, you get in, you do the job. You what know. time did you have to come in at uh, the morning show? Midnight. Yeah, from 1996 to 2015, I was going into mid midnights wow. to nine and cover. You know that way when the folks would wake up in the morning, you know whether it was uh, Jose Sanders, Judy Sue, or uh, Lauren Cohn, or uh, whoever else we had in between there. Oh, Leah Hope, uh, Jose Sanders' uh, uh, co-anchor, they would uh, be on the air uh, doing the morning show. And when I started on the morning show, we only did an hour of morning news. Hmm. An hour of morning news, uh, but now uh, when I left, almost an hour and a half, they were pushing three hours. So what was your exact job? What were your responsibilities? I was, I was responsible for writing all the copy, that, all the scripts that they would read uh, on the morning show and doing the research and putting the stories together, uh, working with a video editor to put the packages together and the, and, and the reporter as well. So oftentimes, you know, everything on television is scripted. Yeah. Um, you know, Everything is practically scripted, so they need somebody to write and produce that. So you're an ink-stained wretch. You're just another <laughs> yes. writer, you're like the rest writer. of us. Yes, I'm a writer. But, you know, and we do the research and pretty much just uh, get the facts, as we do, and uh, send it out there. A lot of great stories during the you know, 25 years uh, at ABC. And you know, naturally, in Chicago, the biggest stories are always politics, right? Yeah, and the, politics, and politics, 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 politics. The same issues always come around budget time, right? We don't have money. Yeah, we and don't have the sky's falling. Yeah, uh, you know, doomsday. So, were you always involved in the union all those years? You were a writer. Um, yeah. Well, it, it's a union job, so I, became, I got more involved in the, my union actually in 2004. Uh, and, I mean, you know, we had this. We had a strike at ABC. 
1998, and then they locked it. ABC locked us out. I don't remember that. Yeah, it was a. Yeah, man, I don't remember that. You know, it's funny. Well, of course, I wasn't on strikes. Right, right. I didn't have to worry about it. How, How long did that strike last? That strike, I want to say, lasted 13 weeks. Dang, oh, wow. 13 yeah, weeks. Yeah, 13 weeks. And we struck during, so 1998 was the midterm elections. We struck during uh, election coverage in 19, I mean, sorry, 1998 I was, was going to say, yeah. Yeah, 1998 was the uh, midterms. So we struck during the, in November 1998, during the election, Peter Jennings it couldn't get the lights on because uh, they couldn't get the show on. Um, so we went on strike. So it was ABC, all ABC. All ABC, Chicago. yeah, network, because we're, we're no no here. So Chicago, New York, LA, San Francisco, Washington. Now what, is, what does that acronym mean? Uh, oh, I'm sorry, owned yeah. and operated stations. Yeah, okay. Those are yeah. those are the stations that are owned by ABC, the uh, the network. So how'd they get yeah. the, if, if the writers went on strike, I like to think that you can't do anything without a writer, Sharice uh, uh, and Don. Uh, <laughs> If the writers want to strike, how'd they get the show on? You know, they brought in a lot of scabs, but uh, that's why, I mean, a lot of the coverage, news coverage at the time, was uh, it was awful. They, they could never get a, a clean show on. Uh, live shots, reports were always a mess. And it was pretty much just, you know, uh, anchor reading on the desk because uh, uh, the video wasn't there or uh, uh, the remote wasn't there. The satellite wasn't hooked up. So it, it was, uh, but they just, they continued on. And I mean, they, as uh, time went on, you know, they started mastering some of the skills that we brought. And then, but after about 13 weeks, uh, the strike ended. Well, how did, I mean, how did, did you get the strike to end? What, what, what? Well, actually it was because Good Morning America was getting a new set. Okay. And uh, who was it? Uh, Diane Sawyer, and uh, and uh, who was this? Her, oh, geez, now I can't remember. Diane Sawyer and the uh, co-anchor on Good Morning America. I can't remember. Yeah, either. geez, that was a long time. I know. Well, so they, uh, she's the one who put her foot down. It's like you know, you got to end the strike, uh, ABC, and bring the workers back because guess what? We're getting a new set. We're getting a new program. And it's really killing our ratings. Yeah. Actually, I think to some extent it was just the ratings mm. were going down, especially on that morning network, you know, Today's Show and Good Morning America. They're always competing, yeah. and uh, that's a lot of money for these, you know, for state for stations. Remember, this is a. Uh, the 90s people before the internet i mean we still had the internet but people still watched TV. new yeah. tv mm-hmm. you know and uh you didn't get you didn't have the aggregation of like google now and i mean all the aggregate how they aggregate news and information and we didn't have social media sure you had video and cable but local news and uh i think at the time a uh, good majority God, 13 weeks is no wow. joke Sharice. oh it happened yeah. around christmas that's the other thing like oh man <laughs> you know, it was tough it was a cold was there ever a time when you thought you were gonna lose uh you know what no i, I think deep down at the, at the end we we believe that you know, we are as, i mean as a labor movement as folks who stand together you know with workers uh, we're on the right side at the end of the day. I know it's tough, and I know a lot of folks would, would get mad and upset, but at the end of the day, uh, you know, we knew we would prevail. It's a long road to hoe, but you know, we knew that we could prevail, and we did, and although we didn't, we didn't you know, there were a lot of concessions made, it's just uh, at the end of the day, uh, we went back to work. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, we got our raises and uh, we made a few concessions, and just back to the business of uh, of, of doing the news. Um, but one thing that the strike exposed, you know, back in the as technology has changed, 
you need few, you needed fewer and fewer people to re- operate a newsroom mm-hmm. or a, a, a mm-hmm. television station. Let's say if you if we went on strike in ten years, a decade before that in the eighties, before the automation, yeah, the computerization, yeah. it w- a strike would have been more effective. Mm-hmm. But in ninety eight, as automation came in, it was so much easier for them to bring in replacements. Well, we'll get into that. We'll talk about uh, the gig economy uh, mm-hmm. showdown in California and the implications it has for the larger economy here, well, here in Illinois as well. Uh, but Sharice, just in, reintroduce yourself. It's been a while since you've yeah. been on the show. Uh, tell folks how you got involved in the labor movement. Sure. Um, so I'm the director of external affairs, and I um, always say in my current job, I literally stumbled stumbled into this job. I um, was working at the state treasurer's office, doing um, deputy chief of staff there. Had been there for four years with Farrick. Started off on his campaign volunteering, um, and basically like worked my way up. I didn't know him. He didn't know me. I just kind of signed up for his campaign and thought he was a good dude. And then um, I ran for office for Cook County Commissioner in 17. Mm-hmm. Um, like I said before, I ran because my godson was uh, shot and killed. So I ran. It was a very emotional run for me. But I ran and lost. So it was seven of us. I came in third. But during that race, um, I guess I got the attention of my boss. And um, a little bit months. So I came back to work maybe in April. Mm-hmm. Um, I ran into him at like dim day at the state fair. So whenever that is a couple months later, um, he said, I want to have a meeting with you. And 20 minutes into the meeting, he was like, surprised, I want to hire you. Um, So I literally kind of like stumbled into this particular job, but I had been part of the movement just for a long time. My mother is a teacher, 25 plus years. Um, My bonus mom worked at uh, Unite Here, um, up until her, she retired from most of her life. My dad is a Marine, but retired. You know, once you, once a Marine, always a Marine. <laughs> I forgot the Marine connection. You can. <laughs> <laughs> Semper Fi, baby. Right, Semper Fi, yes. Uh, your dad's a Marine. Yes. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. So. <laughs> was he hard on you as a kid? Did you have to sit up straight and stuff like um, that? It's very, growing up, like yeah. anyone who's grown up with like military parents, it's a whole different upbringing. I mean, even just like living on the bases, traveling, you learn to make friends really fast. You have to acclimate really fast. Well, I forgot about this. So did you grew up in Chicago or you just grew up all around the country? Everywhere. We lived in Pendleton, Virginia, Okinawa, and then I came here basically settled in, oh, in Chicago. Own. No, with my parents. Oh, okay, so okay. yeah, um, we came here in 90, so uh-huh. I've been here for a, yeah. a while. Um, but no, I was literally like... Is your dad still alive? Yeah, oh. he's retired in Vegas. He's in Vegas. <laughs> Viva Las Vegas. Yes, yeah. Uh, he's retired, retired in Vegas. Vegas. Yep. Uh, and uh, yeah, we uh, it's it's like uh, Treasurer Frerich's uh, week on the Ben Jarofsky show. Oh, we had really? Levante Stewart. I don't know if you know him. Yeah. He was on the show. So I hired Levante. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, he, he was. I uh, stole him old. from Kwame Raul. Yes. Yep. Yeah, he's a very mm-hmm. good guest. Uh, he was on the show, uh, what was it yesterday, D? Or Tuesday? Tuesday. Tuesday, Tuesday? Yeah, okay. Yeah, did a great job. Yeah. Uh, we're going to definitely bring uh, Levante Stewart back. Uh, but anyway, all right, so that's the background yep. uh, that you uh, folks bring to your uh, your current jobs. All right, let's talk a little bit presidential uh, debate. Tonight's the debate. Uh, we've been uh, highlighting it uh, for the almost all day. We're talking about the different advices that various Democrats are giving to the candidates. Love to hear what you think uh, that candidates should say in order to win over union voters. What do you think? What what, what would you like to hear from the candidates tonight? Yeah, so like 
personally, one, um, it's funny when you were talking about the different Kool-Aids and uh, just Biden. Biden is like everyone's like drunk uncle, right? That's what kind of he reminds me of. Um, everyone has one. And, but as we've gotten more involved and as the candidates have started to show like who they are and stuff, they're seeing some, I'm here and I'm starting to like warn, um, you know, for a lot of different reasons, but one of the things is that what I want to hear them say is to talk about like how we can actually have like a real plan. People always talk about doing things, doing things, but what, what's the action about it, right? As Don said before, we're about action, right? So how are we going to get it done? You know, how are we going to lift the middle class? How are we going to lift everyone? How are we going to advocate for those who can't advocate for themselves? And who's the president that can really get it done, right? Who can unify all the different interests, because everybody has all their different interests, but find some of those common threads. And I want to hear kind of how they do it. I feel like there's been so much attention, you know, and this is just 100% personal, on um, the different groups, mm-hmm. right? Whether it's like the blacks or um, the Latinx or just whatever the different groups, but not necessarily the general body, right? How is we as like everyone, mm-hmm. Americans, and all of us are going to be able to make our country what it is, mm-hmm. right? Make it make it how we were before, like how we were unified and people didn't feel emboldened to walk down the street and call people the N word mm-hmm. and think that was one hundred percent okay. Like we, we're going, we're going into a really dangerous negative space, and I want to hear how they're going to help get us out of that space. <coughs> What would you like to hear, Doug? You know, I, I think um, as a labor activist and secretary treasurer of the second or the, or the, the third largest labor federation in the country, uh, a message that rings with workers. Any of these, uh, while where we haven't the AFL-CIO or the CFL, we haven't uh, backed anybody in this race yet, but we're waiting to hear. Naturally, we have to we'll get our direction down the road. But which of these candidates really lifts up the the labor movement, the workers out uh, across the country who who need who need to be lifted up? Um, and at this point, I mean, there's some folks who've said some really good things, but you know, at the end of the day, I think we need to, yeah, uh, we care about the working class. And uh, any uh, and right now, they're they're saying all the great things for the working class, right? Yeah, all these things, but uh, there's a lot of issues that are still out there. Um, you know, you know, fair trade versus free trade, um, and uh, just uh, you know, changing laws to 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 address some of the because labor and employment laws need to be updated to the new economy. Uh, those issues, and uh, you know, bringing uh, jobs and job training and uh, opening the opportunities for other you know, for other for for, for marginalized communities. Uh, those are the issues that you know, the, this president, or the, that we hope to hear from one of the Democratic candidates. Um, and um, labor, naturally, is going to be a big part of any victory for, uh, for the Democrats. Sharice, uh, you were talking about you ran for office. Mm-hmm. So you have firsthand experience of uh, dealing with the pressures of being a candidate. Uh, relating to, you came in at, at the tail end of my conversation with Miles about David Axelrod's mm-hmm. uh, column that he wrote for the New York Times, where his advice essentially was uh, to for Democrats to be apply the the rules of jujitsu, which is you use the your opponent's uh, strength against him. Mm-hmm. And, and so, in his case, what he is essentially saying is a metaphor for Democrats should allow Donald Trump uh, to just be the idiot that he can often be mm-hmm. in his rant and railings and his tweets, et cetera, and then just turn people off against him. Uh, 
as a candidate, as a former candidate, do you buy into that, or do you think there's a moment where a Democrat has to fight back and has to deal with uh, the kinds of absurd tweets? Like, like mm-hmm. I, I don't know if you followed yeah. the John Legend. I did, in the Chrissy Teigen. Yes, yeah, Chrissy the Teigen, Chrissy the, Teigen and John yeah. Legend uh, mm-hmm. Twitter war. Yeah, yeah. I followed it. Mm-hmm. I was team Chrissy. Um. <laughs> Big surprise there. Uh, I didn't think you'd be team Trump. Uh, yeah. Um, no, I think you let some you let an idiot be an idiot until it gets towards until it gets dangerous right i th- um yes i understand i read axelrod's uh, column also and i agree with him up until a certain point but then it gets to a point it's almost like a bully right uh, what in school you keep getting bullied and bullied eventually you have to stand up to the bully there's a difference between engaging and being petty Right. That's not I feel like that's not what should happen. And and I think if any of the candidates do that, it's actually going to work against them and prove Trump right. But you can't seem weak in front of him either, in front of his base, in front of just the country. Um, When where that point is, I don't think we've reached that point yet. I don't know if that's point. I mean, he does something horrific and stupid every single day where people are almost becoming desensitized, Mm -hmm. which is. just terrible in itself. Um, but I think he's almost like a little kid who throws a temper tantrum. And if you don't, they get louder and louder and louder, the more you ignore them. Mm-hmm. And I feel like he's going to get to that point, the more that people don't engage, but just to let it happen. Unfortunately, they ignored him and that's how they won 2016. They ignored him. Well, I talked about this a lot, yeah. and uh, I'd love to get your thoughts about this as a, a former candidate. That moment in the 2016 debate where Hillary was talking, Hillary Clinton was talking, and it was that the debate where they were got to move around stage, yeah. and Donald Trump started moving right behind Hillary Clinton, yeah. and she ignored him, but we could all see it. And it was, it was clearly an act of intimidation by Donald Trump as a disrespectful act. He was coming into her personal space, if mm-hmm. you will, uh, to steal your TV background, right. Don. He was stealing her time, mm-hmm. and he was sort of like, in a way, taunting her, and she ignored it. And I often wonder, like, what's the proper yeah, thing to have done? done? What do you think? You, what would you have done? So the I would daughter not, of yeah, a Marine. Right. What would the I daughter would have not, not ignored it. Um, but again, we're different people. So um, I ran again. It was seven of us. It was two women. Um, I was the youngest um, on the, uh, the of the people running. So the intimidation factor was there every day from different from the candidates, from their staff. Um, multiple people and you ignore it to a point where it becomes until it became disrespectful. So there was times during the debates where I'd be cut off where I'd have to immediately check them and I know how to check somebody without cussing. And so, and I did that. I was respectful, but it was like basically in like the words of Maxine Waters, like, you know, reclaiming my time, like this is not for you and for you to fall back. I've had to tell somebody to fall back, to move away. If I, if that had been me, and he, somebody walked up on me, you know, your first instinct, you want to elbow him, but you mm-hmm. can't because, you know, you're on national TV. But, um, you know, simply would have moved out of the way and asked him, like, almost like, what the hell is your problem? Without saying it. I'm sure there's probably an appropriate way to say that. Or you could take the hell out just say, what's, <laughs> what's your, your problem? problem? Yeah. yeah. Could you imagine there's if she had done that? I think it would have been great. Yeah. I wish she would have done it. 
Mm-hmm. I wish she wouldn't have ignored it. I mean, you know, shoulda, coulda, woulda. But I think her by her, it's almost like confronting him right then and there. And like, this is not your place. Like, you're not stronger than me. You're not going to beat this. Yeah. I mean, I, it would have been fantastic for me for her to see that personally. Well, well let's just talk about Chrissy Teigen for a moment for a yeah. kick it to Don and ask his opinion on this. Uh, we talked a lot about this on the show yesterday. We were having fun uh, reading Donald Trump's tweets and just taking the dive and how absurd they are, because they are absurd. Absurd. Uh, I love the way she responded. Right. Now, uh, I don't know if it would be appropriate for... Uh, it's not appropriate. For, you know, to say it. I'm not even going to say it on the air, because Dennis won't let me swear on the air, uh, although Can't it is a it. podcast. Can't do it. The guests can swear. I'm not allowed to swear. How about that for a double standard? Oh, but wow. it is a podcast. You can swear. It's not ABC TV. Right. right. Uh, you can say, you want to drop the F-bomb, go ahead. Plenty have on this show. But um, I loved it. I yeah. just like that's how you. Have, yeah. That's to me how you deal with them, right? And uh, you know you're not going to win over Trump supporters, but you're never going to win them over anyway. Right. They're gone. They're lost, man. They just so committed to this guy, right? Uh, and you're coming out of a mother like the mothers like rallied against her. Like this is like a woman who's a mom who does Huggy Pampers commercials. You know, you're attacking her. Wait, what mothers came out against her? I, I mean, that. I'm sorry, came out, came for her. Yeah, for her. Supported yeah, yeah, her. I'm yeah, sorry, yeah, came yeah. out and supported yeah. her. Yeah, came out and supported her, which is, you know, Trump is saying some of those women are his base. I mean, it's even something small like that that can just turn people. It's not about, like, really anything, you know, big or political or life-changing, but, like, don't attack a woman and her kids. Well, uh, okay, so I'll throw this at you. I like Dennis said, one of the Kool-Aids I'm drinking is Elizabeth Warren. Mm-hmm. I really like Elizabeth Warren a lot. I like the, the fact that she's been pro-union her yeah. whole uh, working well, career sure and she's fearless and oh. she stands up to people and she's smart. I think she'd be a great president. So I'm thinking about her. So when I throw that out there, some of my guests come in and go, well, Ben, she can't win because of Pocahontas because Donald Trump gave her a nickname Pocahontas. I think that's the most absurd thing I've heard. But that's just my opinion. How do you think she should handle that? Yeah. Because you know he's going to come at her. Oh, he's definitely going to come at her. Um, I mean, so the Pocahontas thing is a real thing, unfortunately. um, It shouldn't be a real thing. I don't think it's enough to hurt her, but a way to do it, a part of it is also to kind of embrace it. So think about, like, the idiot that Trump is. He started selling Sharpies. Did you hear about this first Alabama thing? Yeah, I know about that. Yeah, Yeah, started Mm -hmm. selling Sharpies. you know, for for those type of voters who are maybe kind of oscillating, maybe not all the way Trump, but maybe just not ready for some of the like the super super left liberals or whatever they're they're saying. Um, I think she has to embrace it in a way where she doesn't, you know, give fire to it. But it's like ah, it's whatever. Like don't let it fluster. Like let it roll off her back. People are going to have names. People make make names about me. I be like, all right, all right, cool, okay. And then what? And you keep it moving. Like you don't, you don't put heat to the fire of it, but you don't ignore it. I feel like ignoring it, like it never happened, doesn't work either. Yeah. What, how, what's your take on all this, Don? You know, as a as a yeah, veteran journalist, I, I think all his tweets are always getting free news coverage. And you know, as a news person, you always want to get the other side on the tweets, and that's what fuels that news story. And I think maybe uh, to Axelrod probably has some good points. 
if he tweets something out and you don't give him a response, that story dies on the vine. His tweet dies right there. But because people want to give their counter and their opinion and they start, you know, and they start a, tweet, twit, a Twitter war, a Twitter, war, a Twitter uh, uh, ramp, uh, that gets the news coverage. I think maybe if, if uh, some, some electeds will just stop responding to his tweets and, and let it die in the vine, and then we won't, maybe some of the news, uh, news outlets, as, as news outlets fail to get anybody to react to you know, his comments or his tweets, they'll, they'll just, which are antics and rants, and then that might kill the story. Well, here's the thing. Uh, I'm reading Axelrod's essay and his advice, and it seems as though a reaction to Donald Trump works by igniting uh, the coverage. And let me explain this, Don. In mm-hmm. other words, uh, what Axelrod's arguing is that the more absurd and silly Donald Trump yeah. behaves, the more people turn against him. Right. So if Democrats just ignore him and the story dies, then you're not drawing attention to his greatest weakness, which is himself. Mm-hmm. So in some ways, I could make an argument that it's better to counterattack, if only to get reporters to keep the story going. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think, you know, be, if he's a guy who craves attention, so if he throws something out there and it's not getting any attention, he'll throw another thing out yes, there. And then next, it, it'll be just a, a stream of nuts, nut, uh, you know, rants and, and wackadoodle uh, tweets. Yeah. And, and then that'll expose them for what he really is. You know, right now folks are running around, you know, the emperor is wearing no clothes, yeah. right? And <laughs> if he keeps it up and he's, he's throwing out there just to get the reaction, right? And he's always doing that. And if, and if, if he's not getting a reaction, he will keep throwing it out there. And maybe that the story is maybe as, as maybe a news coverage, Oh, here's what the president tweeted. And then here's what he tweeted, uh, you know, 24 hours later or 12 hours later. And that's the stream of consciousness that the public will see that guy's crazy. Give right? us a little behind the scenes from your days as a uh, news writer for all those years at ABC. Uh, and I'll, let's say the, the, the current story about, uh, I call it Weathergate. I don't know if you've been following this one. It's pretty oh. Larry <laughs> Donald Trump with, uh, with the, the, <laughs> uh, the hurricane hitting Alabama. He, uh, and he, he essentially kept that going uh, with, with one outrage after another, with threatening meteorologists. And you got to say, yes, the hurricane was going to hit Alabama, et cetera, and so forth. Uh, just take us, if you could, to the behind this, what like a behind the scenes would be uh, at a newsroom as they try to figure out how to cover this. Well, I, I think you know maybe from the we covered local local stories, but on occasion, just uh, some of my friends who might be at the network level, naturally, you get a Trump tweet. And then uh, the first thing they'll look at is like, who can react to, who do we know out there? Or who's the tweet directed to? Let's get their comment about this tweet. Or is, has anybody from the other side commented on this tweet? And we put that graphic up, like, here's the tweet. Here's the, Trump's tweet. And here's what, uh, like, let's take uh, the John Legend, Christy Teigen mm-hmm. example. You had Trump's tweet. Then uh, here's what uh, the whole news story is about the tweet. Right, yeah. and maybe getting some. And I don't think they they they, get, they picked up any man on the MOSs, man on the street. Is that what they? No, they didn't do any. I, don't, yeah. I didn't see any man on the street. Yeah, it was, like, it was what's just, your reaction? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, all it was was that they did a whole. I mean, how many hours have they expended on that now? Oh, a couple of days. A couple of days now yeah. on just this tweet, and then the reaction, and then everybody piling on, and now that tweet is getting traction. And the same with his, uh, you know, his little shtick. So yeah. when, when, when you're uh, debating what you, what you put on the news, do you actually talk about in terms of what people want to hear? Or do you try to 
put some kind of like a significance to it. In other words, is there somebody in the newsroom saying, I'm sorry, this is so petty, this tweet story we have to do, we have to have a, a in-depth story about uh, Brexit, you know, something really, or the thing that everybody is talking about and <laughs> tweeting back and forth. Unfortunately, you know, I think in you know, the industry, the way it is now, it, it feeds off of that. Yeah. Right. I think there was a time when you know, here's the, here, there are other stories going on in this city or in this world that need to be covered. Uh, like one thing is his tweets are distracting the public from what's going on in, in Congress and how, yeah. you know, and, well, actually, you know, how he's packing the courts yeah. and how he's, uh, you know, ripping apart the uh, federal, the civil service. And so meantime, he, he's tweeting out here and he's back in the truck, uh, in the back door of the, you know, the white house and carting off all, uh, you know, all of, uh, all of our wealth. All right. Uh, before I let you guys go, get to get some comment about what went down in California. We're going to talk about this with issues uh, on deck as well. Uh, this is pretty big news coming out of the state of California. And one more time, I'll, I'll sum it up for everybody. Uh, the General Assembly in California, whatever they call it, we call it a General Assembly in Illinois, the State House, uh, the legislators voted for um, voted for a bill that essentially makes. Uh, Drivers for Lyft and Uber, employees of Lyft and Uber, as opposed to being uh, private contractors. As a result, uh, they're eligible for benefits that they wouldn't ordinarily get. Uh, everything from possible sick leave benefits to minimum wage benefits. It's going to increase the cost of an employee to Lyft and Uber. And Lyft and Uber have already said they're going to go to the mat on this one any way they can. Uh, the, the bill has not been signed into law yet by Governor Newsom, although he says he will sign into law. But clearly, this has implications for labor across the country. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Talk about this a little bit. You know, uh, Ben, besides being a journalist, besides being a labor activist, I'm also a jury. I'm also, I'm also a civil rights employment lawyer. So during, Dang, man, you got a law degree. So, I mean, and that's one of the reasons why I got into law school was to, to understand more about our labor employment laws in this country and the development of it. And it all boils down to this. I mean, labor employment laws haven't been changed in over 60, 70 years. So the, our laws have not kept up with a changing workplace at the end of the day. And you know, the growth of uh, independent contractors, the gig economy, it, it's, 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 that's the new, uh, new work. And our laws haven't kept up with it. And, and that is what uh, you know, the, the mis, mis, uh, misclassification is what it's, what it's called. So folks who in the past would have been traditional employees of a company, they're now being 1099 or uh, independent contractor. Uh, independent contractor doubt. And that's what's going on here. Uh, and it's about time. And that's what's ha happening all over the country. More and more, I mean, the statistics are pretty high. We have more and more independent contractors, 1099 employees uh, today than ever before. And a lot of them are in the gig economy. It's because of the gig economy. And we need laws to address that. Uh, and I, I think it's great. And uh, I'm sure I mean, here in Illinois, we do have something similar. Uh, the misclassification of employment law, but that's covering mostly the building construction trades. And uh, it would be great to extend that law. Well, one of the interesting things about the fight in California and, uh, is that at some point, Uber and Lyft uh, tried to turn the trades against the, uh, the drivers, and yeah. the trades stood with the drivers. Absolutely. The Teamsters yeah. yep. stood with the, uh, the drivers. They did not want, because they viewed it as a threat to their industries as well, because uh, there would be a proliferation of countries. Well, they'd start apping out all these companies, right. and everybody would be a private contractor. No 
nobody would have uh, uh, employment. So yeah. it would be a, a, an attack on all uh, labor workers. Uh, do you think the bill like this uh, would be popular um, in Illinois, Sharice, if uh, it would be proposed? Popular by who? No, absolutely not. Well, not by no. the employers. I'm talking about by, by people. You stay reps. Right? Uh, There'd be a lot no. of resistance. Yeah, I think yeah. the resistance would be overwhelming. I mean, I can't, you know, it would, it, I can't see, I would never say nothing's impossible to happening, but it's going to be hard as hell to get that here. I mean, I think the people would be ready to fight. It's, it's a shame what Uber and Lyft are doing in California now like basically not letting these people have a right to have a good living and have a good life with just simple things like healthcare, things like that, like things that they have the inalienable right to have. I mean, I just, um, I think it would be hard as hell to pass it here. I well, mean, I mean, there's a, like I said, there's really a, already existing misclassification of yeah. worker law in Illinois. And it'd be great if somebody extended, just made one little sentence change and that could, Flip, you know, exp- it's a democratic state. We have a democratic governor, we, we have a democratic house, we have yeah, a democratic dem- senate, a democratic treasurer. Democratic treasurer. <laughs> Don't forget that guy. <laughs> uh, and uh, so that would be an interesting battle if they brought it to Illinois. Yeah. Uh, Don Villar, Sharice Williams, thank you so much for coming in. Uh, the great Ish Cuevas is sitting on deck getting ready to come on the Pride and Joy of the 10th Ward. Uh, and uh, thank you so much, guys, for coming in. Thank you. It. Thanks, Ben. Take Thanks, care. Ben. We'll be right back with Ish. Did you know that 40% of the people in Illinois opt to be cremated? Well, it's true. And Chicagoland Cremation Options honors their wishes by providing cremation services directly to the general public. Chicagoland Cremation Options provides an affordable, ethical, and easy cremation arrangement, whether in person or online. Save thousands and streamline the process by going directly to Chicagoland Cremation Options. It's a family-owned business operated by my good friend, Douglas Klein. Here's how you reach them. ChicagolandCremationOptions.com. One more time. ChicagolandCremationOptions.com. Nick Confessori is with us from New York Times. Has a question for you, Nick. Hey, Mayor. So I want to ask you to put on your old hat for a second as chairman of the DCCC and, and a house strategist. You know, every time I every time I hear that, I'm, I'm hearing like that's a yarmulke or that's something That's right. Like well, that. that's what I want to ask you. Catch Rahm Emanuel at Zany's this weekend, huh? He's got tons of jokes. Today's Ben Jarofsky Show was brought to you in part by... All together now, everybody. Green Element Resale. Good job. It's located at 6241 North Broadway in Chicago. And people, it's badass. Let me tell you all the stuff they have here at Green Element Resale. What I like to do here, if you're new to the show, I'm on their website, and they have a lot of pictures. I just go and look at what I see in the pictures here. Okay, what do we got here? Oh, that's a mattress. Mattresses at Green Element Resale. If you need a mattress, head there right now. 6241 North Broadway. More information at GreenElementResale.com. The board game Cranium is at Green Element Resale. Guys, I'm a Cranium master. Get that at Green Element Resale. Invite producer Dennis over. We'll make a night out of it, huh? Oh, there's an oscillating fan. That looks awesome. That's a Green Element Resale. Tons of designing things, decor, tables, chairs, movies, books, Holy crap, this place is awesome. 6241 North Broadway in Chicago. If you're ever on Broadway between Devon and Granville, stop in and say thank you. Because Green Element Resale, it's a thrift shop that helps bring you the Ben Jarofsky Show. We love them. It's Green Element Resale. 6241 North Broadway. Find more information at GreenElementResale.com. All right, enough about Green Element Resale. Let's talk about you getting the inside scoop on all things 
Chicago Bears. Ben, make that noise. Reset 2020. And blue dog, blue dog. Wait, hold on. Don't forget this. This is okay. what I'm that's, telling That's him waving his hands for all of our downloaders. Yes, you ever watch football? I know you're a soccer guy. Are you into football at all? Uh, randomly. Randomly. Okay. Have you ever noticed when a quarterback comes to the line and he's playing in front of the home team and he, uh, they, he does an audible, and an audible means for all you non-football fans, the quarterback changes the play. All right, D, that's what an audible is, all right? So he motions to the crowd. Stop cheering. And the crowd dutifully stops cheering so he could yell out the new play. And he go, blue dog, blue dog. Hey, this is a live read for an ad. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Get the inside scoop on all things Chicago Bears this football season with the annual Sun-Times Bears magazine. Dive into features of players, coaches, games, and plays. And get excited for the 100th season of football Blue Dog. This collectible magazine is just what you need to get ready for this fall. Ready, set, 2020. You can order your copy of the magazine at suntimes.com forward slash C as in cat, S as in Sam, T as in Tom, shop. Once again, suntimes.com forward slash CST shop. Grab your copy today. People. Welcome back to the Ben Jarofsky Show, live from the Chicago Sun-Times. Ishmael Cuevas with us, the pride and joy of the 10th Ward. He's actually from the southwest side, but he works in the 10th Ward now, uh, top aide to uh, Alderwoman Sue uh, Sadlowski-Garza. Uh, D, you got an update for us? Absolutely, I do here. Tonight is the night. It is Democratic presidential debate number three. We've slimmed the candidates down. We've got it down to one night now, so that's good. We don't have to do the two-night thing. It's going to be tonight. Everybody, if you got nothing going on, make sure to watch it. We're going to try and post the link to watch it on the Facebook page. And then tomorrow we're all going to get together, talk about our notes and have a good time and talk about it. But uh, before we get out of here, what we're going to do, thanks to CNN.com, they gave us their six things to watch for during tonight's Democratic debate. We're kind of pressed for time, so we're just going to go ahead and not do number six. Eh, Because it's pretty silly if you ask me. Their number six is, is one night better than two? We don't need to talk about that. (laughs) So we're going to do the five things all right you know what i mean yeah. is one night better than two yeah, what, what is that cnn just narrow it down to five yeah what are you trying to do here so uh, we're gonna do the top five things throughout this interview with ish we'll do them and uh you know what the hell let's go ahead and start with the first one the first one well number five number yeah, five yeah, that's number the first five, one we'll yeah. work our way to one all right so number five what's yang planning Oh, okay. Andrew Yang. Says here, Yang, yeah. Andrew Yang has a big idea, giving every American $1,000 per month and a devoted online following that calls itself, you know what they call themselves, right? The Yang Gang. Oh, okay. it makes sense, doesn't it? He's not sipping that Kool-Aid, guys. He doesn't <laughs> I'm not have, feeling Andrew Yang. He doesn't no. have Yang uh, in his uh, yeah. Kool-Aid bag. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but he hasn't made a mark in Democratic debate so far. Will that change? His campaign manager made an ominous promise. The Daily be Sam's okay who cares but hey will yang make an effect well i in my humble opinion no 
Okay, and uh, Andrew Yang is a one-trick pony with his proposal. Uh, to, what is it? One thousand is it D or ten thousand? One thousand. That's 1, how many uh, miles Rahm Emanuel bike. Yeah, yeah that's right. Yeah. But what, 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 how many miles again, Rahm? Nearly a thousand miles. Oh, thanks, Rahm. Uh, but uh, yeah, so I do not think he's. I'm, I'm really shocked that he's made it this far in uh, the debate process, and apparently he's been able to raise a lot of money uh, through uh, uh, online contributions, and somehow or other he found a poll that has him at 2%. So God bless him, but I do not believe he's going to make a, a significant uh, move tonight's debate. I, I don't get, think so either. You don't think no. so either. They don't give him much time to talk when you're one of the fringe candidates. So you're only, Even if he does have the time, I don't think people are, are picking up on or listening. Him. No. Yeah. Are you picking up on him? I'm or not. not. Yeah, okay. And you're a millennial. So you, That's you what would, I was going to say. I mean, I've, from the conversations I've had with friends, I don't think anyone has ever mentioned him. <laughs> okay. Not a part of the Yang gang. That is definitely not a part of you. Got number four. Should I go on to uh, Ish right here? You go ahead and talk with Ish, and after a while, we'll do number four. All right. When you're ready, just interrupt us, okay? For Deal. number four, uh, that'll be the big debate tonight. I'll be watching it. I, I don't know if you were in the uh, the room, Ish, when I announced that tonight is my anniversary, my 37th uh, year anniversary. Congratulations. Uh, thank you very much. 37 years <laughs> of wedded bliss. But my wife, man, she's so cool. We were going to go out, but I said, hey, you know, I got to watch the debate. I, what I, yeah, I <laughs> dude, he's pointing at my uh, ringless fingers. Okay, I'll tell I didn't want to say it out loud. No, man, he was like, Ben, where's the ring? What are you uh, trying to pick up girls in the, you know, in the cafeteria? Happy um, anniversary. Yeah. No, uh, what happened is, Ish, I can't stand rings, all right? So I had a wedding ring at one point, and I was always taking it off, and one day I lost it. So oh, I haven't man. had a wedding ring in... Well, since I think I lost it within a month, and I just hate rings. I just don't like them. My, my fingers get all swollen. So everybody knows I'm married, all right? I mean, it's no joke. That's cool. As long as your wife understands. Yeah, she understands. And she accepts it. Yeah, she accepts it. She put up with me for 30 seconds. Believe me, not wearing a ring is the least of But that's funny. It's was like, boy, where's your ring, man? <laughs> I like that. Uh, and, uh, you know, because like in a lot of, uh, I watch, a, uh, I read a lot of detective books and watch a um a lot of detective shows and one of the things uh, in a, a, a convention is that when a, a man goes on the prowl to pick up a woman in a bar or something he takes off his ring but because of this uh, he's had the ring on there's a mark a, a mark well the, the sun the, the sun tan oh, yeah. is a ring tan and so people oh where's the ring but that's not the case with me I haven't worn a ring since 1982 or something like that anyway uh, that's how much I love politics my wife and I are going to be watching the debate we're going to on Sunday, though, so cool. Uh, that'll be cool. All right. Uh, so first of all, let's just talk a little bit about the Labor Day parade. Uh, Sue said, "Yeah, it was uh, it was pretty awesome. Um, we had a." thousands of people on Ewing Avenue. Uh, my co-worker, Nicole, did a fantastic job in organizing this uh, Labor Day Parade for the fifth annual one for our community. Uh, we actually had uh, 25 elected officials come out. We had uh, Mayor Lori Lightfoot. We had Tony Preckwinkle, Ana Valencia, uh, people from all over the, the city. I was surprised. Usually it's a uh, 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 elected officials from the south side and the southeast side, but we had people from all over the city. So then we had over 100 units. 
uh, all the trades, all the unions. It was awesome. It was a great family. You had Lightfoot uh, and Preckwinkle in the parade. They've been feuding a little bit on behind the scenes. Did they get along during the parade? Everyone got along. Yeah. Everyone got along. Yeah. Every now and then when they turned down Ewing <laughs> Avenue, all of a sudden, would Lori didn't think anybody was looking? <laughs> hey, I didn't hit her, huh? What? No, just kidding. That, that was a good thing. It was a good time. And then the, uh, the, uh, the, uh, the Eddie Fest was also a success. Uh, Crucial Conflict had a good crowd. Damn, I uh, wish I would have been there. I yeah, forgot awesome. Crucial Conflict was going to be. That's Far- a 90s rap band. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. Farley Jackmaster Funk, the DJ, was also there uh, playing house music. And then actually one of our co-workers from the 10th Ward office, Alyssa Morgan, uh, also performed. She's a singer, so she did a very fantastic job in, in flowing with the crowd. So Eddie Fest cool. is named for Ed Sedlowski, uh, Sue Garza's father, legend uh, from the southeast side, legendary steel worker and leader of the Steelworkers Union for and, many years. And of course, market calendars for 2020. Labor Day weekend is going to happen again. Good God, 2020. <laughs> that, now, that, that'll be serious because 2020's Labor Day will be on the eve Ready, of, set, 2020? <laughs> ready, set, reset, 2020. Sorry, sorry. sorry man. Uh, but the 2020 uh, Labor Day uh, parade will be right on the eve of the November 2020 winner-takes-all election showdown. Yes, this, I mean, ish, this like the anticipation, I'm feeling it right now. Imagine you know? if we can get a presidential candidate to come. That'd be cool. That would be cool. Well, if Yang wins, he's not coming. You <laughs> all that stuff you were just saying there? Good Lord. <laughs> Yang, sorry. I'm bleep you-ish. Uh, yeah, that would be pretty amazing if you could get a presidential candidate. I, I, would, I would really hope that the Democrats would be all bo- aboard with labor. Uh, That's what for I would the hope 2020, so. Yeah, of you know? I mean, is that what you, one of the things you're looking for? In t- yeah. What are you looking for? In yeah, t- I'm definitely looking for that uh, and having those conversations. I think that a lot of uh, undecided voters, again, are, are up for, for grabs. And I think the, the conversation of, you know, what you were talking about earlier with the Uber and Lyft, the gig economy, mm-hmm. making sure that, that the, the Democratic Party establishment is advocating uh, for workers in the gig economy, workers who are who still haven't uh, received uh, their wages increases as the living wage uh, rises across the, the country. So that's those are the conversations that I'm hoping that we could hear in the debates um, as, they're, as they're coming up. One of the things we've been talking a lot about on the show is the, um, the pull of more centrist Democrats to try to get the candidates to move toward, to the center already before we even get to uh, the general election. I know there's a tendency to move center of once you get to the general election, but they're trying to, to do that now. Uh, my personal belief is that the Democrats should keep those Democratic values going strong, should articulate, uh, you know, like standing up for gig economy workers, standing up for the the, the Lyft drivers of and course. Uber drivers, and standing up for uh, health care. Do you, do, you, do you sense, uh, do you have the same feeling? I definitely have the same feeling at the national level and at the local level as well. You know, one of the things that uh, we were personally, that the older woman Garza and my colleagues and myself are working on the Committee on Workforce Development is actually... Uh, uh, it's speeding up the the increase of the minimum wage here in Chicago to fifteen dollars an hour, uh, and it's for the reasons because we want to make sure that our your our tipped employees, our healthcare, childcare employees, are, are are that that their incomes are are keeping up with the living standards here in the city. So we 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 here locally want to ensure and protect working class people, uh, people who have traditionally been low wage workers, and I'm hoping that this this is a um, uh, this sheds a spotlight on on how we can tackle these issues nationwide, and that the national democratic 
uh, party looks at these issues that are important to to voters across the country, whether you're in a rural area or in an urban city, you know, I think those are the conversations that need to happen. One of the issues you were telling me about that you would like to see promoted more in the city of Chicago is vocational education. Talk a little bit about yeah, that. Yeah, so um, one of the things that I'm working on right now uh, with the Committee on uh, Workforce Development is is trying to figure out or, or working uh, with CPS and non-for-profits and organizations across the city uh, to figure out how we can how can we can revamp or replenish uh, vocational education. Uh, you know, as you if you remember, or maybe not you, but those of my generation, you know, throughout the 90s and the early 2000s, you know, college, if you go to uh, any Chicago public school, college was the was king, right? Yeah. Uh, the alternatives, they, either there was no alternative or the alternative was, you know, find a job wherever it is. So what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to work with organizations uh, uh, across the city, public schools, uh, you know, there's a thing called CTE programs, career to education. Um, and the CTE programs is how do we get the trades? How do we get vocational uh, programs back into the schools? Because a lot of a lot of those programs basically either got, uh, uh, un, you know, there wasn't enough funding for them. They got cut. As, as you may know, you know, for example, Washburn Trade School. It was a, 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 an entire campus in the west side of Chicago that focused specifically on trades. They had bricklayers, pipe fitters, carpenters, and the entire structure got demolished, literally, right? Mm-hmm. And so a lot of a lot of students, whether it's my generation or in the past, even in the past five years, you know, there's the, the let's call them the, the college-going students, and then you have this other population of students that is either going to enter a low-wage job, you know, working at their local, uh, you know, sales store, whatever, in, uh, in the neighborhood, and they're not going to ever get a, a, a good middle-class wage um, benefits, insurance, et cetera, et cetera. So um, I'm working with the, with the unions and working with uh, folks from the CFL, uh, CFL and, and trying to get an understanding of pre-apprenticeships and, and co- connecting them back into C- uh, Chicago Public Schools. So that's something that I'm hoping that, that I can, that I and my team and all the women guards that can, can hope to push uh, for students. No, I could tell you right now the generational gap between you and me, which is enormous, uh, I'm a lot <laughs> older than you, uh, is this is a it was a different world when I came out of school in the early 70s and uh, there were far more vocational opportunities for kids in, in the trades, et cetera, and so forth. And, and at, a, at an early age, when we, we got to school, we were told, hey, it was almost like within a school, you, you like were uh, channeled into a certain direction. So they did it through test scores. So some kids were channeled into the academic course uh, where, where they would be, tr- be basically prepared for college. And other kids would be uh, channeled and uh, into a vocational uh, 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 career, right. and they would be there were shops, uh, shop training, car auto shops, and uh, all kinds of tr- uh, basic skills that they would need. And the thing of it is, uh, ish, is that in some cases it was an unfair designation. If you follow what I'm saying, like kids were unfairly sometimes when they looked at the, you know their their uh, academic records said, oh this kid will never amount to anything academically. We're just going to put him in the vocational section, okay? Even if the kid was lousy with his hands. And you know what? That's what it's interesting you bring that up because yeah. that's a conversation that I think that that I'm personally before working in, in city government, I used to work at Farragut High School uh, in Little Village, right? And so a lot of parents. Uh, 
you also wanted their their children to go to college and always looked at the trades as like, I don't want my kid to do that. That's something that I'm doing. I don't want them to get dirty or I don't want them to suffer the long hours. Um, But a lot of a lot of times, uh, for example, in in the uh, who have Mexican parents uh, who were immigrants like my 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 parents. Right. Um, Their conditions that they faced is different from the conditions that we have now where they, you know, in their home countries. I'm talking about in the industry, right, in the in the warehouses, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. So here in the U.S., of course, we have I think our our labor conditions are much exceed those of like Latin America. And so it's like also having a conversation with parents and engaging them, you know, like the, 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 the jobs that you left in your home country are not the job that you have here. And they're, these are like middle class, uh, you know, high paying wages where you don't have to work the minimum wage. You can make two or three or four times the amount of the minimum wage working as an electrician. Uh, and those conversations are, are we, we have to figure out how we can um, have those conversations within, within the, the school setting, uh, not just with educators, but as parents as well. I'm a big advocate for, for having a holistic conversation with the community members, with the mentors, with the parents, with the children, uh, so we can really tackle this issue. And, and it's, you know, it's about bringing people out of poverty. And I think that if we bring people out of poverty, we can also tackle the issues of violence that we have across the south, south side and the west side. Yeah, by, by the way, what did you do at Farragut? I didn't know you taught at Farragut. I, no, I, I, I didn't teach there. I was actually an after-school program coordinator uh, through an organization called Enlace Chicago. Uh, and so I worked at Farragut basically providing after-school programs for youth. So oh, we had like okay. a we had a robotics club, gardening club. So we would get funding, uh, and then I would fund different programs for youth to be involved in okay. after-school. Uh, D, you got number four for us? Absolutely, I do. Uh, thanks to CNN.com, we are learning the top, well, they have six, but we've narrowed it to five. Number six wasn't that good. Five things to watch for during tonight's Democratic debate. Number five, how will Andrew Yang perform? Ish loves Andrew Yang. <laughs> My goodness. And by the way, let me just say here, uh, Ish, man, your sh- I complimented his shirt before he came in. His shirt is awesome. Yeah. I want your shirt. Yeah, it's a nice it's got, shirt. It's got bicycles on yeah. his shirt. And I have to ask. Hey, did you know that Mayor Rom? Well, I'll let Rom tell you. I just biked around Lake Michigan. You know that? <laughs> he just biked around. How many, how many miles did he go, Dave? Oh. Nearly a thousand miles. Nearly a thousand. <laughs> you ever done that? I biked to Wheaton the other day. That was tiring. Really? Uh, yeah. Holy crap. How long did that take? <laughs> took like three hours. Yeah, yeah I was going to say, that's a long, that's a long was thousand Mayor miles. <laughs> no, Mayor, did you see Mayor Rom while you're riding? <laughs> that, that was Mayor Rom from uh, his appearance uh, Sunday on the George Stephanopoulos show where he, he talked about how he biked around Wisconsin and Michigan, and nobody came up to him in all the, the uh, restaurants he stopped in and cafes or what have you, uh, stores. Nobody came up to him and, and endorsed uh, expanding health care. Okay? So he took that as an indication that real America is against health care. <laughs> they don't want health care. I think that's Rob's view of the world. Yeah, no one uh, approached the sweaty guy at the diner yeah, about health The weird guy. <laughs> Who just wondering out? That's Rob Emanuel. By the way, he's not the most approachable guy in the world. So who's gonna go up to Rob Emanuel and snap your head off? It's like a little terrier. <laughs> but seriously, Ish, I'm just saying. I just biked around Lake Michigan. Biked, maybe you should give that shirt to him. He's yeah. the true writer of this, all right? Hey, I'm glad you like my shirt because oh, uh, some people real. in my office don't like it. Really? Yeah. <laughs> not the older woman, Garza. <laughs> I'm not going to say who, but hey, people don't like it. Come on, Sue. It's a cool shirt, man. <laughs> That's real cool. I really I love like the it. glasses, by the way. It looks very scholarly today. Did you notice? All right, it's now time for. Number four. Number four on what to watch for in tonight's debate. 
between those old Democrats. According to CNN, number four, how will the low polling candidates stand out? Ah, yes, it we says, just got finished talking about Andrew Yang. Uh, we're going back to Andrew Yang. It says here, going on the attack hasn't worked. Yeah, tell Tulsi Gabbard that. But that doesn't mean some Democrats won't be willing to try it. Still, most are looking for other ways to stand out. So... Is there going to be a candidate tonight looking to uh, go right after uh, the other candidate, kind of like Tulsi did with yeah, with Kamala? Uh, Kamala yes, and uh, uh, and Kamala did to Biden. Yep. If you recall, debate number one, Kamala Harris uh, from California, the senator from California, uh, rose in the polls because she so uh, decisively went after uh, uh, Joe Biden. I my guess is Cory Booker is going to come out strong. I think oh, Cory's okay. going to throw. You know, I I got a feeling that uh, Cory's going to come out with the fist flying when he can get his uh, five minutes. And I remember. Uh, the mayor of New York, de Blasio, I thought he hurt his uh, campaign in the... Could you- Blasio is still running for president. I don't know what he's thinking anyway. Uh, but he was the one who was like yelling out, hey, what about blood? Nobody, <laughs> wait your turn. So my bet is that Cory Booker comes out. Do you have a, do you, do you, do you have a sense someone's going to hit hard tonight-ish? Um, honestly, I was, I, I don't know. I, I'm just going to wait in here. I was, I mean, I've been trying to read their, their uh, campaign websites. I was looking at Twitter. I just feel like they're all going to try to go for Biden and Try to trash Biden yeah. tonight. Uh, yeah, that could be a trash Biden. I don't know. Tonight. Twenty bucks says Yang calls Cory Booker a douchebag. I'm calling it. I'm calling it. <laughs> I don't think that's gonna happen. Yang is gonna be talking about that a thousand dollar thing, which in my head somehow got elevated to ten thousand dollars. Now, you know what really annoys me about Yang? What's his, that? His TEDx type of talking. It's like he's yeah. like talking really fast, and it's like. You know, matter of fact, like a few people, unless you watch TEDx and you like TEDx, not feeling you're not going to like an Andrew Yang type of person. On the other hand, I have to say this. I like the fact he doesn't wear a tie. Oh, I'm not a tie yeah, guy myself, no, right? No, yeah. So, Andrew, I don't wear ties. I'm not going to wear a tie. Once again, Ish, you're really ruining your chances of getting him in that parade next year. <laughs> Time for number three. That's right. Number three. Our number three thing to look for tonight on the debate. The dangers of punching up according to CNN. It says here the most memorable moment of the first two Democratic debates was Harris eviscerating Biden over his previous opposition to federally mandated school busing, and it gave Harris a temporary jolt in the polls, sending her briefly into the high teens. Since then, though, she has fallen fallen back in the pack and headed into the third debate. Harris's campaign is suggesting the risk isn't worth repeating. Wait, Harris, they're, they're, so they're not going to go strong at Biden? That's they're going to defy according to his prediction? Wizards and experts at CNN, yeah. Okay, uh, so she's not going to. So what is she going to do? Her problem is that she did such a bad job of articulating her position on uh, health care. And I'm just going to say, folks, uh, Rahm Emanuel is perhaps the only Democrat in America who thinks it's a good idea for Democrats to advocate doing nothing to protect people's health care interests, okay? So every other Democrat who's actually running for president has got to come up with a solution to this very vexing problem, this challenge of trying to get people health care. Well, so, and it sounds like these know-it-alls at CNN, the former California attorney General's new approach, direct her prosecutorial style uh, toward Trump. 
Oh, so just ignore everybody in stage and rip Trump. Okay, well, they, when in doubt, do that. You know, that's <laughs> going to happen regardless. Of yeah, they're just going to all rip uh, Donald Trump. All right, what's number two, D? Oh, you're ready to roll yeah, on. Yeah, I all love right. this thing. I'm looking at the clock here. All right, everybody, if you just tuned in, I'm not sure why, but we've been doing this like two hours. But hey, if you just tuned in, uh, we're doing the top five things to look for in tonight's debate, and it is time for number, number two. two. Number two. Number two on the list is, one second here, where? Where does Bernie Sanders fit in? Where does he fit in? Where does Bernie Sanders fit in? Yeah. On the left. That's where he fits They're in. They're loving these, these CNNs. CNN. <laughs> CNN. They keep, this is what they came up with. It says polls show that Sanders is right there with Biden and Warren atop the field. And his campaign has howled that the political process is writing him out of stories about the state of the race, even though he is firmly entrenched in the top tier. Absolutely. Uh, Bernie is firmly entrenched in the top tier. Uh, tier and uh, Democrats on the leftist persuasion love him. We have had your old high school friend was on the show not too long ago ish and that would be alderman uh, carlos ramirez rosa a proud graduate of whitney young the same year i believe ish graduated they're classmates and um, carlos was singing the praise of uh, bernie sanders and this is like the second go around for yeah. carlos singing the praise of him because he supported him in 2016 uh and so i just i know almost every left of center millennial is for Bernie that I know. Okay, I can't think of right now at the moment a uh, millennial. There's a f- most of them are for Bernie. That, that a couple that are th- th- talking Elizabeth Warren. Did you see his uh, interview with Cardi B on Instagram? Yes, I did see awesome. that interview with Cardi B. I watched it, and uh, yeah, I'm feeling the burn. I've been dra- I voted for him in 2016. I still like Bernie Sanders. How about Cardi B? Feeling Cardi B? I like Cardi B when she was at. <laughs> <laughs> Sing your favorite Cardi B song right now. Uh, my favorite Cardi yeah, B yeah, song? Yeah. Um, my favorite Cardi B song you is... Us- uh, you ready? Let's hear it. You got to know when to oh, hold them. Right. Know when to fall. Wow, I didn't know Cardi B did a Kenny Rogers cover. Oh, yeah. You didn't know that? <laughs> no. Oh, you missed that? <laughs> I guess I did. Yeah, man. All right. I love number it when she one. sings that. Number one. Time for number one. <laughs> Kenny Rogers. <laughs> All right, here we go. Our number one thing to look for tonight on the debate. Guys, you better go watch this tonight, all right? I come will back. watch it. I'm talking to the listeners. Oh, okay. <laughs> Sorry. Go watch this tonight, <laughs> listeners, and we'll come back and we'll have a good time tomorrow. The number one thing to look for, Biden oh, versus yeah. Warren. These two, who the Washington Post characterized as longtime frenemies, have risen to the top of the polls with drastically different strategies. As Biden promises a return to pre-Donald Trump normalcy, and Warren argues for bigger structural changes. All right, so let's just deal with the uh, inherent uh, bias against Bernie in that sentence that you just read. Bernie's right there in the polls too. They've risen. It's like Biden versus Warren. They, they, it's just like what Bernie was saying. We yeah, don't even want to. Yeah, we yeah. don't want to talk about Bernie. The CNN. It's Biden versus Warren. They don't <laughs> want to mention that Bernie's there too. Yeah, that's so pretty, that's, that's, a, that's, a, that's the bias that Bernie's talking about right there. Doctor D, you indicated it very well. You should. Isn't isn't in the poll Bernie higher than Warren? I see. He is yeah. he's absolutely higher than Warren. And there was a poll a while ago. Oh God, Bernie's people were so happy. There was a poll that. Came out that had Bernie ahead of Biden. Then right. Bernie's people go nuts. They were calling me up every day. Ben, did you see this poll? And then the next day, Biden was. Listen, here's the deal, man. Uh, you're a millennial of the leftist persuasion. Basically, you're not. You're sort of cut from the same cloth as Carlos. Um, 
Biden is so popular with the Democrats. He's still popular, and it drives lefties crazy. Are you ready to support Biden? No matter if I really want to hear someone on the streets of Chicago talking about Biden. I never heard of him. <laughs> yeah, no, if, you, never, if you can tell me where, let's go. Let's go outside. Maybe, maybe uh, we're wait, uh, D. Who has come on the show that is just uh, unapologetically for Biden? I'm trying to think. Um. Oh, uh, George uh, Davenport, maybe. Uh, well, not she's. Like some Jaime Andrade came oh, on, state yeah. representative they Jaime are, Andrade, they are Dave Fowler. They're right. We got to bring them back. They are riding with Biden. So there you go. Jaime, I don't know if you know Jaime Andrade from the north side of Chicago, state rep. Uh, and they were feeling a Biden a little bit. I don't think they've officially endorsed him, uh, but he was feeling so. But your point's well taken. I don't, but somehow or other ish, he's like a 29%, 30% yeah. of the polls. I don't know. It, that's I don't. I man, maybe here in Chicago, maybe we go around the country, and obviously these polls are you know they're small sample sizes, so I can see where they come from. But at least here in the city or in the Midwest, I you know I have a lot of friends in Wisconsin um, and friends across the Midwest, and I don't hear anyone talking about Biden. Even in the West Coast, obviously you know California, people have friends in Texas, friends in uh, New Mexico and Arizona, and I don't hear the, the Biden burn at all yeah so. i i there's not a lot of talk for joe biden but i'll tell you this the last poll i show uh, that i saw about biden one-on-one with trump he was stomping trump i think people biden symbolizes a certain normalcy that well, a lot of people want to gravitate toward in uh, contrast to trump well i saw that uh when i was looking at the polls isn't it you know whether it's biden trump warren trump or bernie trump they're all going to stomp on they're, Trump. They're all beating, so. yeah. Uh, they're right. They're all ahead of Trump. But the, the, the Biden one I saw was like 56 to 40, something outrageous. It, look, it's early polls. It's very early. My question about Joe Biden is, will somehow or other he stumble, you know, over his tongue? And listen, as a guy who stumbles over his tongue all the time, I feel for him, okay, D? So uh, <laughs> I, that's the part of Biden I kind of like. Where like, I don't know if you saw this the other day. He couldn't remember Obama's name. <laughs> you know, that's <laughs> That guy's a meme character. Yes, he is a mean character, and uh, so anyway, I'll, yeah, hey, I can tell you right now, folks, if he's the nominee, I'm voting for Joe Biden over Donald John so Trump. So those were the five things to look forward to tonight's debate. Go watch the debate, and we're going to wonder which Kool-Aid will Ben Jarofsky <laughs> be drinking tomorrow. <laughs> a lot of flavors he likes, all right? And, and, you know, what about uh, the Cory Booker? Oh, uh, Leah. Yeah. Remember our old editor, oh, Leah? Man, loved, Leah? Shout out to Leah. Yeah, Leah, she loved awesome. Cory Booker. Uh, all right, Ish. Before we let you go, anything you want to uh, leave folks with? Anything, any news events you want to tell them? Uh, upcoming of uh, events or yeah. laws or bills or anything? Go. Yeah, one thing I want to uh, remind uh, listeners is that uh, on Sunday uh, in South Chicago is going to be the 80th annual Mexican Independence Day parade. Older than the Little Village and the Pilsen uh, Independence Day parades. A lot of people don't know that South Chicago um, was one of the first Mexican neighborhoods in the entire Midwest. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have one of the first Mexican parishes, Our Lady of Guadalupe. Uh, so we have, uh, you know, second, third, fourth generation Mexican-American families who are, will be celebrating this uh, beautiful uh, celebration. On uh, uh, Step Off is at 1 o'clock uh, on 87th and Commercial. 1 o'clock. So come, come by to South Chicago. and then, uh, Two weeks in a row, know. or three weeks, two out of three weeks parades yeah. in South Chicago. Yep. Um, all right, very good. Uh, Ish, the pride and joy of the 10th Ward. Actually, he lives on the southwest side or grew up on the southwest west side but we've stuck them on the, uh, the southeast side ish thanks so much for coming thank on you. i appreciate it uh also want to thank our guest don valor and uh sharice williams and of course miles conflassen who from in these times was here about uh gosh 130 or so and 
cannot let us out of this room without paying homage to the man, the myth, the legend, the pride and joy of Alton, Illinois. Happy anniversary, Ben. <laughs> Thank you, D. Uh, yes, 37 years of wedded bliss for me, and my wife and I will celebrate by uh, watching the debates tonight. How romantic is that? Uh, the pride and joy of Alton, Illinois, Dr. D. They call him White Lightning back home. And Alton, give yourself a raise. Take it out of petty cash. See you tomorrow, everybody. Take care. And remember, you can download previous Ben Jarofsky shows and Benny J bonus interviews at both Chicago Sun-Times and Chicago Reader websites, chicago.suntimes.com forward slash pages forward slash Jarofsky, chicagoreader.com, and wherever else you download your favorite podcasts. Downloaders, we live stream this show Tuesdays through Fridays, 1 until 3 p.m. uh, Central Time at both Chicago Sun-Times and Chicago Reader websites, the Chicago Sun-Times YouTube channel, and we Facebook video live stream. Yeah, get a good look at our faces and immediately regret it and go back to listening to it. At Benny J Show, B-E-N-N-Y, the letter J Show. We'll see you tomorrow. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader, like that car riding right your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on AutoTrader too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro, cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait. AutoTrader.